Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stairwells. I'm Autumn, I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. And we just got kind of a loosey goosey episode. Still haven't watched Wild at Heart. That moment, because sometimes you say Neve, mm. and sometimes you say Nia. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Today, I've been working with my boss for years now. Today, my, my boss learned that I go by Nia as well. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been calling you Niam. For the whole time. No. <laughs> he, he's no Neve, but he says it very flat. Neve. Yeah, we did um our uh episode with M last week. Last week? Last week. Um and we really enjoyed that. But we had a bunch of like stuff we watched over the holidays um that we hadn't gotten to. Luckily neither of us six days into the new year have watched a movie yet, so um that's yeah. a weird twist for us. Well, we're... so it's this thing of like, because we were talking to like, oh, uh, like I want to get to Wild at Heart. I'm excited to get to Wild at Heart. Uh-huh. It's funny because over on Totally Reprise, uh, Luke yeah. is also involved in the same weird delay about really wanting to get to Wild at Heart but never watching it. Um, we're going to watch it next week. Yes. I'm, I'm positive about this. I want us to watch it. Yes. Um, but it like just hasn't happened yet. And we could have watched it tonight and tried to record no. later. No. Um, I don't oh, really... Oh, like record on Sunday. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. thought you meant watch and record tonight. No, like, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> but we were like, oh, we're like setting up ourselves up to have so much to talk about. Yeah. And I think both of us had, have been to some degree subconsciously being like, wow, we haven't like really had a proper stairwells where we talk about movies for a while. Yeah. So... I'm weighing what I want to do with my night, and instead of picking a movie or whatever, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And now we we put together the number of movies we have to watch, and this is like paltry compared to some of the weeks that we've had. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing also is just that like the holidays were busy. The holidays were busy for me, and I I've been in kind of a bad mental health place, mostly mostly because of like my work has just been like really awful the last couple weeks um and so and then i and then i got like a little like weird about it of like oh i'm four days into the new year and i haven't watched a movie yet i'm failing somehow and today i feel a little more relaxed about it but the feeling is still there and i think that maybe just by like let's go through the stuff we've watched I think I'll be able to sort of like reset yeah. back into my routine. Cleanse the palate. Let's yeah. eat a little let's eat a little pickle ginger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um I'll probably in the course of it talk a little bit. One of the main things I've been doing is like reading manga and watching anime and also watching a show with Emily. So I've been like So there's a the main thing I've been doing will come up at this point in the list and yeah. I will truly like unfold what's been going on with me. Um, cause the thing, the thing that I've been doing is tangential to movies and we can get there when we get there. But the other thing I've been doing is like, I, um, found an app. I was posting about it on co-host called Speechify that was really bad. I did not like Speechify at all, but it like spurred me to try and find something else. And I found an app called Natural Reader where I can plug PDFs, and I think EPUBs into it too, and it will read it aloud to me, which has been like, oh, I can read some books. And so I've been like poking my head into a couple books, and I've been like, 
I've read the first 10 chapters of the new Brandon Sanderson book, but I haven't really like committed to it like that. And like, I read a, like three chapters of a bunch of different like comics and, um, but I haven't really committed to any of them. I've just had kind of a week where I'm like dipping into a bunch of different things. Really, really hopeful that by finding natural reader, um, I'll have a more book full book filled year in 2023. And that's not like a new year's resolution or anything. That's just like, Oh, this has opened up uh, a new vein for me. Also, if you uh, use natural reader and you know how to make EPUBs work on it, let me know. I spent about 20 seconds being like, Oh, this EPUB doesn't work. Well, let me just pick out a PDF one instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I should maybe look into something like that. So, one of the things I, I did in in addition to reading like manga stuff is um, when we do the, the Kino's journey question bucket, I want to have read Boogie Pop and others because mm-hmm. um, Kino's journey is a light novel. I might try and also get in at least like a little bit of the first one or something. I think it's the only one that got an official English translation or something anyway. Um, but I also was like, I know uh, Kim just absolutely loves Boogie Pop. I mm. got that book to read it because uh, I did a thing last year and I was very bad at keeping up with it of like, w- people recommend a book for me to read this year. Um, mm. And that was one that Kim recommended to me. Um, but I was like, I should read that. Uh, I started reading it. Right now it's still a part where I'm like trying to figure out exactly what's going on. There's like gender happening, but not in a way that's like, amounting to anything yet but i'm also only two chapters into i think it's like eight chapters it's not long because it's right. a light novel <clears throat> um but i was like this goes down smooth but also in a way where i just i kind of wish i was just listening to it yeah yeah and like i ha- i have no sort of like way into light novels like that because i just i cannot focus enough to read like prose like that like i just i cannot do it I, I keep thinking, oh, maybe this is the year that I'm just going to, like, brute force my way into it. Maybe I could brute force my way through something like that. I have other ways I'd rather spend my time <laughs> yeah. than, like, fighting against, like, the way that my brain is wired. You yeah. Know? That's the thing. I, I definitely fell into a period where I was, like, playing a lot of games, you know, watching stuff, all of that, and not reading a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Um, And so... Some of getting back into reading books was just reading manga and being able to, like, that's a different mode, I think, but being able to still do that mm-hmm. uh, has helped a little bit. And then Longfire has been, like, the to some degree, the brute forcing it. Yeah. Where it's just, like, I have the reading. I enjoy this stuff. Like, yeah. You know. Um, I think sometimes, because there are some books, too, that I picked up that I want to finish, but I dropped, like... Uh, I was reading Detransition Baby last year, and I dropped it a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I want to get back to it, but like, stuff wasn't fully connecting with me in a way uh, where, for me, trying to get into books through that, it was like, eh. <laughs> so sometimes I think you just need something that you know you're going to enjoy to get back into something. Yeah, totally. and then once you like find the joy in in that process again, yeah. Then you can just start watching the mid-tier st- or reading or right, playing totally, or whatever the totally. mid-tier stuff. But like, like one of the things I want to try and do this year is get back into gaming a little bit. That's not going to happen for me picking up some like, like I'm not going to do that with an Atelier game. Right. 
you know? I yeah. I really enjoyed those games when I was gaming a lot, but that's not going to be the thing that hooks me because it's just so, like... It's so, like... It's just slowly paced, usually, yeah. and, like, it's not, like, engaging systems. Um, it's, a, it's a podcast game, you know? Yeah. It's a, like, I am... This is, like... 60% of my attention. And it's also a thing of like, I enjoyed it because it was slice of life stuff. But right now, the mode that I'm in, if I have that urge, I'm just going to watch an anime that's going to uh-huh. hit those points. Uh-huh. Um, so, should I talk about what I've been watching? I feel like we're kind of in this zone. Yeah, let's get and into reading. it. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. Um, well, before we get into like movie stuff, I'll, I'll touch on oh, some TV totally, stuff. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Um, I'll tell a story about yesterday. Okay. I think you told me the story, I told you but the I story. then immediately forgot it because you were like, eh, we'll do it on the podcast. Anyway. Um, so one thing is, is I read like the first volume of, um, the ancient magist bride. Uh, I first started and I was like, mm, the vibes are slightly off for me. Um, not even like just in a way of like, there's a lot of stuff that I can tell is specifically geared towards a like young adult audience mm-hmm. where I'm like, none of this feels like inherently creepy, but it is about like, Oh, this cute 15 year old girl or something in a way that would feel far more appropriate if I was a teen. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a thing that like, I think people, I think sometimes people on like book Twitter and stuff, get like mad about like oh this person this book is treating um like i'm trying to i'm trying to think of like a specific thing and not like talk so vaguely but like i th- i think this is a thing that people get mad about sometimes or like oh why is this book or this manga treating this teenager in this way like like this teenager has like a body that is sexualized and it's like well, it's because it's for teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. because you are reading things that are for teenagers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is also a thing that like doesn't even fully start in like a more modern era or with like uh-huh. young adult as a, you know, novel as a construction or whatever. Um, where like, uh, I think it's uh, Cat and Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, like, by uh, Gunter Grass, which is this novel about, like, uh, guilt around, like, what happened during World War II. Mm-hmm. But has as its focus, like, um, teenagers, and is about, like, the this uh, kid looking back, or, like, this person, this, like, adult looking back on his childhood, when he was a teen, and when he was, like, basically succumbing to fascism. Mm-hmm. And then misplacing a lot of the guilt like the actual real guilt he has about what happened with the war about this one like Jewish uh, Mm -hmm. classmate he had who disappeared and like why didn't I do something about that and I feel really guilty about like this one time where I was kind of teasing him and I was joking about how his Adam's apple was like a mouse and I like sicked a cat on it Mm -hmm. uh, and had like a cat try to attack it and so he's like wrestling with this like small piece of guilt but then it's criticized because there's also like frank depictions of like teenage sexuality in it yeah but in a way where it's just supposed to like it is like trying to deal with 
this is a process that people go through and is like that sexual element is also informing how you're like developing ideas about nationhood and everything. Right. That's in the novel. But then people are like, oh, there's a part where the boys masturbate. Right. <laughs> and you're like, I thought Does I... Any, do people not remember when they were 15 and they masturbated? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I remember seeing one time somebody complaining about the book it because that the way that book ends is awful. And I remember seeing somebody complaining, oh, I can't believe that Stephen King would put teenagers having sex in his book. I can believe that. Teenagers have sex. The yeah. problem is that the scene is horrible and misogynistic and, and, and all these other things. The problem is not that the existence of teenagers developing like sexually, <laughs> that is a thing that happens. And yeah. Stephen King is writing books for teenagers, uh, <laughs> at least in part, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I think there's, there, it's more important to think about, like, why is this being presented? What is it trying to talk about? Is it trying to be a thing for teens? Uh-huh. And it is trying to be, like, showing them the actual things they're going through, i.e. they are going through puberty and having to, like, for the first time really contend with sexual urges. Uh-huh. And you're trying to do a thing that's going to be, like, helping them work through that in some way. Uh-huh. And then... If a bunch of adults are consuming that, maybe the question is, why do we have a culture where adults continue to consume stuff for kids? Why? Why? <laughs> why Why is it that anime in the West is basically entirely shounen? Well, it's not just that anime is, like, the entire... Yeah, but, like, why, YA is also, like... Yeah, the entire anime audience is, like, 20 and 30-somethings watching shows for teenagers... The yeah. entire book audience is 20 and 30-somethings watching, reading books for teenagers. I wonder why, like, millennial generation has a, a serious issue with, like, arrested development. <laughs> I wonder if there's any, like, socioeconomic and political forces mm -hmm. that cause that to happen. Impossible and, to say. And that have, have now just been, like, marketed to in a way to reinforce it. Yes, who knows? Who knows? Um, anyway, but yeah, the other thing is sometimes that stuff comes up. Sometimes that that stuff also comes up because it's like I've seen ones where they're like, "Oh, why are they showing teens having sex and doing drugs?" And I'm like, "That was me as a teen." Yeah, I don't know how I would write something about my childhood without doing that. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Ancient um, Mage's Bride puts you off because of the way it was doing this. Well, it put me off because at first it was just like. Oh, this is about being 15, like being a 15 year old girl or 15 year old boy or whatever. And thinking about like this kind of romantic thing that you could get into. Like the book almost feels like a thing about having your cr a crush on your teacher. Right. And so when I first started reading it, it's like, ah, like this isn't for me. But then when it started contending with like the, the main character in that is like deeply suicidal uh -huh. and like trying to like it's like envying a dragon for being able to die and being able to die happily. I was like, OK, this part's interesting. So maybe I'll try and stick it out a little bit longer and see how it like balances out. I, too, was 15 and had a crush on my teacher one time and also was suicidal. Those were sort yeah. of independent events. Yeah, this is it sounds like maybe this book is bringing those two things together for me. Totally separate. But, you know, yeah, those were feelings I had. But, like, the, it's that depression side of it that I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. This might be mm -hmm. interesting and for me to, like, mm -hmm. look into. Um, I've been reading Blue Period. Um, I've, I've read a bit more of that. Uh, I started this a while ago at the suggestion of uh, Joao. 
Um, but I kind of fell off of it. And now I'm like, one thing I'm doing is I'm just getting manga from the library. Cause I kind of like being able to easily see the spreads and things. <clears throat> um, I still read on my tablet sometimes too, but, um, and I've been enjoying it. It's, sometimes it's a little bit too much. Like let's explain to you how the art school process works in Japan or just in general. I'm like, yeah, I, I did go to art school. Right. And it's a little bit interesting how it's like the Japanese side of things, but I'm more interested in it for the the characters and especially um, there's one character where it's like I think some of the represent like some of the their portrayal around this is interesting where uh, I would read her as like a trans woman, but it's also kind of in this Japanese context where like uh, you know gay boy trans woman like impersonator is like a little bit more muddled. Mm-hmm. I think even now than it is like in the West now. Um, and, uh, but so th- it's some of these interesting things where like the main character, I kind of cringe at all the time because he's constantly uh, calling this character like the birth name mm-hmm. and saying he and stuff. And I'm like, fucking come on, man. This is like your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that doesn't seem to be what she prefers. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, in many ways, he's, like, able to empathize with her and, like, be a friend to her in ways that some other people can't. And so I think that, like, weird mix is interesting. So, um, I got, this, I'm starting to get the big Berserk omnibus things. I saw, I saw those. Yeah. So I can try and finish that up because I think I'll enjoy seeing the... There's so many spreads in that, and I just don't like spreads on the tablet that much. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing is I do, I have come to prefer the tablet just for like <clears throat> ease of like holding and yeah, yeah, mostly for ease of holding, ease of reading in bed because I don't I don't have, and I should get something, but I don't have like a back to my bed so that it's easy for me to sit up, you know. Oh yeah, and so tablet very easy for me to lay on my side in bed and flip through that way and then i get to a spread and i'm like man this ain't the same yeah um i'm trying to think there's a there's a couple other i'm probably gonna get back in the habit of reading physical books because i've got three things on my shelf right now that like i have on my shelf the official translation if i want to read it on my tablet i believe i can only get the scanlation so yeah i will probably be getting back in the habit of opening up physical manga soon (laughs) I'm doing the thing where I'm just opening up my Annie list to, to look and see. Oh, I haven't started. So I read the first volume of Silver Spoon a while. This, uh-huh. I was reading it when I went to get the X-rays and found out that I had asthma. Gosh. That's when I read the first volume. Yeah. Um, and then I haven't read since then, but I got the second volume. I want to try and get back into that one because I know M that one's likes really it good. A lot. That one's really yeah. good. I'm only like three volumes in. I should close that out because that is not that long. Yeah. Uh, but so the other thing I've been doing is watching anime. Um, I've also been building some Gunpla because I got the Perfect Grade Unleashed RX-78 2, the granddaddy. Uh-huh. Big fuck off. It's a huge box. I still don't know where the fuck to put the box in my apartment until I build it, <laughs> which is kind of sitting in my bedroom right now. So, um, but yeah, uh, so I want to build some stuff. I don't want to build it right away. There's like some of my backlog I want to get through first. Cause I feel like I'm just gonna be on that one for months. Mm. Um, but I think at some point I might just start it and then occasionally do like an HG on the side. I kind of want to, I was thinking about 
2023, do I want to start building Gunpla? But then I was like, before I would want to do that, we have like one coffee table in the living room for this part of the living room, but we need another coffee table because we've got like a coffee table by the love seat. We need one by the couch. So I would want to get that first. And I would want to get another bookshelf because I'm out of space for my books, let alone Gunpla. Um, and then I would need to like clean up the apartment because it's, you know, the specific spot where I would keep that bookshelf is a mess and eh, we need to just get better about blah, blah. I was thinking 2023, do I want to get into Gunpla? And then I was like, no, I do not want to bite off more than I can chew and pick up a new hobby. (laughs) You can just set goals for yourself to like bookshelf or like small things. And then once you do it, you're like, ah. You know, you know what I was thinking about instead is like, what if 2023 I got into like crochet? You know, I was thinking, what if in 2023 you got a cat? Because mm-hmm. that cat will sort out your cups and bottles everywhere issue real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. You know, every time you come over to my apartment, you get a water bottle to drink your water out of. Yeah. Because you can put a top on it. Yes. Wait, that. That might also be on the list. Yeah. But. Um, we should get into the movies we've watched. No. I was just going to say, I've been watching <laughs> Dunbine. <laughs> just you saying no. <laughs> I've been watching Dunbine. I've been watching See Destiny. Go, People can go listen to GGP. See Destiny sucks. Yeah. Dunbine's cool. I'm enjoying it. I'm thinking about watching Dunbine, but I'm just not in an anime mood. And I don't want to force it. I don't, um, what I don't want to do is I don't want to get like three episodes into Dunbine and be like, this is really cool and stop watching it. Yeah. I would prefer to not watch it at all than to know I would like it and feel kind of bad for the next six months about not finishing it. So, yeah. Um, I got to finish still turn, have a. turn A. We still have turn A. Yeah. Um, right now my focus is uh, double Zeta because if I watch two episodes a day, I will have like plenty of time to uh-huh. finish it before we get to IBO. So. Uh-huh. Um, and on work days, that's easy because I just bike and watch two episodes. So, yeah. Um, but I'm on episode 21 now. Uh, it's great. I love this show. It so far, I mean, 0079 is like a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it'll probably be like, it's like objectively my favorite. When I think of like characters and stuff, fucking loves Double Zeta. So good. Um, the cast of Double Zeta, it's net. Domino's never done better than the cast. And everyone's like, oh, it gets good, but it it like starts slow. And I've just had a, the thing is, I just want, one, I think I went into it knowing that, that people sort of said that. Uh, There was this moment where I'm like, wow, this is kind of like a a different tone. But I quickly just like fell in love with Judo as this young Jackie Chan character who just like Kung Fu bumbles his way through every situation that his like, he just like continues to exceed. And in this way that seems like to some degree a commentary on like what a new type is, but is also borrowing from this like, uh, you know, Hong Kong martial arts film mm-hmm. trope of like the kind of fool who can like basically master Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost like the foolishness becomes a part of the strength. And so I'm now excited that we've gotten to the part that I was waiting for, which is like, I think it is very important to see like 15 episodes of this boy just fucking like Jackie Chan uh, buffoonery into success over and over again. Mm. This is his life. Yeah. Is that he just like, you know, 
does some trap, like pitfall trap or something, and then it like works out for him. Yeah, you know, that like, he's just like, I'm gonna run at a fucking mech, and I'm gonna climb it and steal it, and he does. Yeah, you know, to then have him start confronting like, but <sighs> then there are things of like you can't. You can't stop the girl who wants to hang on to the leg of this thing to blow her herself up and also the base. Yeah. Or whatever. You, and you just have to... And, like, you don't understand why someone would do that because your whole life has been, like, you're not going to die. You run at these things and you climb them and you steal them. The, the, like, the, you don't... He can't even, like, I think, comprehend why someone would do something like that. The reason that I say that um, Double Zeta gets good 15 episodes in is that after 15 episodes... Judo gets run into the meat grinder that is a Gundam show, you know? Yeah. And you got, like, 15 episodes of, like, this is not, you know, this is not the sequel to Zeta. This is not the sequel to 0079. And then it becomes that very suddenly. Yeah. And, like, the very, very sudden mood shift of, like, episode 16, I want to say, whenever Pla shows up. Um, Even that is still kind of goofy. Yeah. It's the it's the um, crybaby whatever. Those are the ones that feel the most tone shift. It's not Crybaby Icelina. It's um, it's another C. It's a similar name, Cecilia. Cecilia. Yeah. Yeah. I just watched those episodes today. Cecilia. Cecilia, maybe Crybaby Cecilia. I don't know. I'm watching the the subs, um, and I already forgot her name. But like, that's like a that... story from First Gundam. Yeah, and Judo watches First Gundam happen in front of him and is horrified. Yeah. And it's like, why does the world and, work like this? And Amuro in First Gundam, when essentially the same storyline plays out where a side character has this sudden girlfriend, but she's also a spy and then she dies. Mm-hmm. And then he's all sad about it. Amuro's just like uh, fucked off in the Gundam doing Gundam shit. Because Amuro... Amuro is like highly capable and studious, uh, but also like in that just unequipped to like confront any of what he's doing, I think. Amuro... I think he, the ways in which he's traumatized lead him to a sort of like self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 there's the thing that every Gundam protagonist says, which is like, I, not every Gundam protagonist, but a lot of them will be like, I'm in the Gundam. Don't like throw yourself in front of my laser sword or I'll kill you. And the, the, the sort of like removal of their own culpability in using Gundam it's not my fault for using the Gundam. It's your fault for seeing that I am using the Gundam and choosing to fight me anyway. Yeah. Um, and that is, like, Amaro's response to everything is it's like, well, it's your fault you died because I was in the Gundam. Yeah. Um, and, and Judo sort of, you know, coming years later sees the, like, structures immediately. Sees, like, this is horrible. This yeah. is what happens to people because I fly the Gundam? Fuck this. But I think it's also, like, it's important to have him be this type, this, like, archetypical hero mm-hmm. where he is the one who kind of can just, like, bumble his way through things because then when he gets confronted with this scenario, he's like, well, I'm going to go out there and stop her. Oh, she's not even listening to me. I'm just going to cut off the leg or whatever. But, like, at a certain point, like, you can't stop people from doing what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's like the limit that he hits. Yeah, is he like the limit that he? It's hits not even is... that like bad things happen, but that like you can't control other people. Yeah, you can be the cool badass hero who can like do all these, you know, special 
tricks and everything. And you can mm-hmm. you can be like happy and self fulfilled in the way that the other two Gundam boys so far have not. Camille, someone just desperately needs to help that boy. He's the most depressed of any of them. Um, Judo is baffled by the concept that people like are willing to die for things. Yeah. He's like, I am not willing to die for this shit at all. And yeah. the fact that you are is weird. <laughs> I'm here because they give me food. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> also, the contrast of like when four shows up. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It is. It's like this, like bizarre. Not uh, not four plus. No, when four shows up, it's like this bizarre, oh, oh. like. Uh, art film just like suddenly there's just like the weird like them running through the city yeah whatever because yeah. they're new types in love suddenly because they've met each other mm-hmm. uh and then when plus shows up judo's just like i'm trying to save my sister like can you can you stop being weird <laughs> can you can you can you stop having a weird new type connection to me yeah I guess I will eat an entire ice cream and cone in one bite, which is also funny to me because of the part where uh, uh, Camille and I think it's it's not four. It's one of the other later derivations, uh-huh. the, the multiple Rosa- Gundam. Rosamia? Yeah, where they eat it and they throw away the cones. Yes. And it's just funny to me that here, no, it's not throwing We're just going to eat the whole fucking thing. <laughs> The thing that's so funny... It just seems, like, weirdly self-aware of, like, things from the previous... Is, like, like Camille meets Four and is instantly instantly struck by this longing to understand her. Oh, she's been brainwashed by the new type stuff, but I feel this connection to her. I want to understand her. I want to understand her stuff. Judo is, like... Listen, Pla, I will help you because you seem confused, but I do not get what's going on with you. <laughs> I do not and, understand this. And like, look, I will try to help, but also right now I am trying to save my actual sister, not you, the person who keeps saying that like I'm your big brother. Yeah. I am an actual big brother to somebody who's not you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to save her right now. Cam- Camille absolutely just is like, I guess Rosamy thinks I'm her brother. I'm just going to roll with it. I don't really understand, but I'm going to roll with it. And Judo is like, you are not my sister. (laughs) You need to understand something. You are not my sister. (laughs) You seem nice. I'm going to help you, but you also, like, you're troubled in some way. (laughs) I I need to help you. (laughs) Yes, I will eat the entire ice cream. You don't even have to ask. (laughs) Can we talk about movies? One other thing I was going to say. Oh, my God. So I I want to get the G gun. I'm gonna watch that dubbed. So uh-huh. I'm wa- uh-huh. I wanted to finish my other show. I'm watching dubbed right now, which is Licorice Recoil. I just want to say this real quick on the podcast. Yeah. Um. So that's the show that I've just seen nonstop, constant, like, you know, the two girls are dating art. I, okay. Okay. Don't say that like you're complaining, as if you do not seek out the nonstop GL. I don't. On the, you follow multiple. Like hourly GL accounts, but those those accounts are awash with these girls. Uh huh. They're awash with these girls. You also like the girls. Do you I mean, pret- I, I retweet them sometimes. That's why I watch the show. <laughs> but I'm saying that, like, right now, in those kinds of accounts, uh huh, like Chisato and Takina are like, you know, right up there with like the. There's a slight change where uh, the like Bochi the Rock girls are showing up too. 
but even the, that, like Chisato and Takina are like have a primacy yeah. in those accounts. But Bo- Bochi is popular with shit posters in a way that like Horus Recoil is popular with GL weirdos. I'm yeah. GL weirdos. I, I say this with all the all the affection in the world for GL weirdos. Yeah. Um and I so far my impression of it is it's the the classic scenario that happens with uh, a lot of anime, which is that uh, people watch a, a shonen show mm. with fan service about the girls, and because there's fan service, but the entire cast is primarily girls, mm-hmm. people go, ah, they're dating. Yeah. Because you just don't have... The, the problem when you have a cast that's primarily girls and you're trying to do like fun, flirty fan service stuff is that you just don't have boys for them to do it with, so you just kind of have to do this, like, Yuri bait thing. Yeah. Which I don't have that much of a problem with, but I, I also, like, I think I've had a, a rant on some podcast about, like, Nana is so much more about the relationship between two girls. But that's the show that's going to be far more often called Yuri bait than something like this. But anyway. Um, By M, even. I found out that there's a, a canonical confirmed gay relationship. Uh, I have not finished Licorice Recoil, but I'm close. Does not involve any of the girls. So there's a there's an older male mentor uh, that they like, you know, call teach basically. Um, there's also this like kind of shitty business guy who shows up a few times, and you learn like halfway through that they used to date. That they are ex-lovers. Um, and you get this whole backstory of like the the both of them like deluding themselves into thinking they're parents to these like girls that they're raising up to be assassins. Uh, because they can't like, you know, within like the current uh society they're in, like have an actual, you know, normal like family life, but they want that. And then there's this like split that happens. Um, and everything. And so I'm like, I was not expecting it to be like old gay men. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I'm like deeply invested in this old mentor man, uh, who also, there's a part where he's like, uh, telling the story to Shisato. Um, I forgive it's Shisato or somebody else, but he's smoking and someone's like, Oh, I didn't know that you smoked. And he's like, um, yeah. I, it allows me to like hurt myself just enough that I don't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, this dude's so real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was not expecting that, but now I care about that guy in a way that the other girls are, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. They're cute. It's such a dumb show. Anyway, I like when the girls are cute. Um, I watched glass onion. We're not going to talk about it because I'm probably going to watch it next week. Yeah, and I feel like Em and I kind of talked about it last time. Yeah. But also, when you watch it, we can just talk we about it We can just talk more. about it. Um, should I try and do a stairwell rating, or shall yeah. we just do TBD? Uh, just do TBD. Yeah. The thing is, I remember, like, the levels, and that they're, like, being stairs, but I don't actually know if you see them that much. Mm-hmm. You know how modern movies are. They don't like to show you people going up and down the stairs anymore. Yeah. Did you see the... Um... The new thing, the Ryan Johnson thing. No, um, they just announced yesterday. Some he's like executive producer on 
a new like murder of the week detective series starring some actress that all the almost said something mean all the twitter lesbians um are really into i don't know this actress but people are really into her um seems cool yeah it's I'm I'm being a little dismissive because some of the tweets about it I've seen are fucking annoying, but I like Murder of the Week shows. Yeah. <laughs> I still want to check it out. Um, oh, the one other thing I'll say is I'll, I watched this with... Um, so I found out that my parents... I forget if I mentioned this in the last episode. My parents don't watch movies anymore. Yeah, you mentioned this. Okay. Um, but I did get uh, my parents as well. So there's... A big snowstorm here in the Midwest. Um, I don't think you got as much snow mm-hmm. in Chicago, but I but was in Michigan. But it did drop below zero. Yeah, it did get really cold. It was a little less cold in Michigan, but it was still pretty cold. But it snowed more because that's the lake right. effect. Yeah, totally. You don't get it as cold, but you get more snow. Yeah. Um, and so, like, even though my brother lives like five minutes from my parents, we just like they couldn't get out. Because there's too much snow. So they spent the night, um, and that night, when all the kids were asleep, we watched The Last Onion. Um, And it was kind of fun, because it was a little bit like, oh, this is what I remember. It was just like my my, uh, dad enjoying it, and... uh, laughing about stuff but also sometimes not paying attention to certain details where you get confused about what's happening man it's a murder Um, mystery you got that's the thing you got to do yeah um i feel like in particular he's he's just like can be really bad with like uh names and faces and stuff where like he'll mix that stuff up okay um also if uh like my dad just like i i don't think he understands music like, I don't think his, his, like, I don't think he processes it fully in a way where he can, like, recognize tunes and things. Okay. This is the thing that he fully admits to, that he's, like, very bad at music. Uh, but it also makes, when, when you have that, when you got that friend who's always got her late motif going on, <laughs> that does not clue him into anything. <laughs> like, he, he can tell, like, the Imperial March from, yeah. like, you know some like hopeful thing or something like you can like get very vague like emotional tones but when you have like a melody that's trying to like suggest a certain character he's not gonna pick that up you ever seen that video that's like is this music so this is music you know this video (laughs) that guy the guy who made that video is super canceled now but that video is still funny yeah um yeah i I feel it sucks that he's canceled because i just he made some funny videos and now it's like ha. i see them and it's not funny anymore um my mom fell asleep about a third of the way through and then woke up two thirds of the way through. And then she was confused about what was going on. Cause she slept through a third of it, uh, which is also just something that happened all the time when I was a kid. Um, so yeah, it was just like old times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that for you. Um, my first movie on the list is survival of the dead. I did a podcast about it. You can listen to it by going to exportaudio slash franchise or going to patreon.com slash exportaudio. Um, stairwells, question, question, question. I don't think there were any stairs in this movie. I'm going to get say F. 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 F with a question mark? Or yeah. F? F with a question mark. Okay. Survival of the Dead, uh, if people didn't listen to that episode, surprisingly good. We were We were braced for the worst. Survival of the Dead being as good as it was did make me turn to Nora 
at some point and be like, I was maybe a little charitable about Diary of the Dead. <laughs> after, after getting in that big fight with her, I'm like, this movie's fine. I don't know what you're talking about. We got like partway through Survival of the Dead. I was like, okay, well, maybe I was being a little too charitable to that last one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, people should just go listen to to the franchise episode. I, I think we ended that season strong. Um, and then as we are recording this, um, as we are recording this, uh, franchise is taking a week off, but I think when you're hearing this two days later, there should be in the feed in the Patreon feed, at least whatever. There's going to be a RoboCop episode real soon. I think, I think two days after this podcast goes up, there's going to be a RoboCop episode. I'm really hyped for that. Yeah. And then after that, there's going to be a RoboCop two episode and I'm really worried. (laughs) This is, this is like when you watch, so like all the other, other dead, Some of them maybe a little, but not in the same way. When you watch Night of the Living Dead, it's like, ah, I would have liked to watch that one with you. And it's the same with RoboCop. I'm like, ah, I love RoboCop so much. Do you want to watch RoboCop 3 with us? That's not what I said. (laughs) You want to watch watch the RoboCop remake with us? That's not what I said. RoboCop 4, as some might call it. You want to read RoboCop versus Terminator with me? No. RoboCop? RoboCop 2. No. (laughs) (laughs) The the original. RoboCop 2. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about a Christmas story. No. That movie sucks ass. It's it's fine. You watched it with some family. That movie sucks ass. It's like my dad's favorite Christmas movie. Your dad has bad taste. His second favorite one is like the... um, I don't even remember what it's called. The like best Christmas pageant ever, or the one that's like the oh, like yeah. poor kids or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's fine. I don't, um, I don't like that one very much, but it's it's fine. A Christmas Story is fucking terrible. So the thing, I think this is said a little bit before my dad's time, but like, my dad came from Germany to um, Chicago as a kid. Uh and so I think his childhood was just very, very similar to this. Yeah. I, if, if people are nostalgic for A Christmas Story, I get it. I did not see A Christmas Story until I was like 15 years old. Just somehow, like, my parents had other Christmas movies they preferred. You know? Yeah. Not any, like, I avoided A Christmas Story. There was just other Christmas movies that were more dominant in my family. So coming to it with, like, no nostalgia at all, I was like... It's it's weird how nostalgia is the only thing that movie has going for it because yeah. it's it's a movie for 80s people being nostalgic about 50 stuff and because because 80s nostalgia has lasted so long now it's like the it's sort of like a double nostalgic thing that's happening in a christmas story yeah that doesn't play for me in any way i have no nostalgia about the 80s or the 50s yeah um, and there, there are lots of, I have nostalgia about the seventies. I didn't live through the seventies, you know, yeah. there are lots of people who didn't live through the eighties who have eighties nostalgia. And so maybe a Christmas story plays for them does not work on me at all. Um, I do suspect that my, my dad's childhood was probably like more impoverished than what's depicted in a Christmas story. Yeah. A, but also I think like a Christmas story is like vague enough that 
um, <clears throat> there's still a lot that he can. And I think it's also stuff where like my dad was specifically the oldest kid and then he had a younger brother and then his sister came much later. Mm-hmm. So when they first moved from Germany, she wasn't born yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's also part of it is like, oh, this is basically the same family dynamic I had yeah. where the mom is like going to be kind of stern, but also is going to sometimes go behind the dad's back to like help you out. Mm-hmm. The dad is going to be kind of like, uh, gruff and swearing and stuff, but also have his own chart. Like, I think like a bunch of stuff from his own family can like easily map onto this family structure. Right. Uh, just like fully where he can fully, I, he just sees himself as like Ralphie or whatever. Yeah. The, 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 this is. So... And then for me, I watch it. And I'm just like, Oh, this is just like my dad's childhood. This is what he talks about for, for my mom. Very idealized, but this is his childhood. My mom, like you youngest of five, you know, and so, like, w- like her oldest brother was eighteen when she was born, yeah. and so like, and like, and so I think I think like she had a very different fi- family dynamic, and my my dad just kind of grew up hating his parents and his brother, <laughs> and so like my dad was just never. My mom was always the one who would show me like um, I my mom would show me like sort of sappy, sentimental Christmas movies. But my mom, I think, gravitated toward, like, families about, like, only children or youngest children, because in a weird way, that's what she related to, and me being an only child, that's what I related to. And my dad just... My dad just does not have any of this. My dad is just like, I hate those motherfuckers. I don't want to think about Christmas. My dad is not a Christmas person like this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we got together and had Chinese food a couple days after Christmas. That's my that's my dad. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so I think it is just a it's a big relatability thing. And it's also so then we were watching it, but we were watching it during the day, and so then um one of my kids' cousins, um, you know, my my brother's child mm-hmm. came and was like the oldest one and was watching some. Mm-hmm. The other kids were I think too young to like fully be able to follow a movie like this. Um, and so then I think seeing that was like, Oh yeah, there is a certain thing of like, when you watch this as a kid, you feel like you're watching something that's like a little too old for you because even though they don't say the F word, they talk about like, you know, there's the part where Ralphie says like fudge and he's like, but I didn't say that word and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's like this like thing where you like feel like you're seeing something that's like kind of risky. There's like the leg lamp and stuff. Um, My mom showed me uh national lampoons Christmas vacation when I was like five. Yeah. That was, that was another <laughs> popular one uh, in my family when I was a kid too. And I saw that one very young. Um, but yeah, I think it has that certain effect. Yeah. That was definitely, and I think, I feel like when I was like more of a kid, like they were pretty even for my dad. And maybe sometimes he liked Christmas vacation more because him actually having kids really identified with like, and him like having a job and ever like that. He was like, you know, now he's like retired, but still works a shit ton. Uh-huh. Um, but like, I think all of that stuff, he probably related more. Now he's just fully in like old man nostalgia mode where he's like, Oh, that one about when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. now like he didn't even bring up Christmas vacation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those where I'm like, it's not, I was watching it too. And like, there's, there's the part where like Ralphie's having this like vision of, uh, you know, oh, if I get the like Red Ryder BB gun with 
pump mm-hmm. action, blah, blah, whatever. Um, then like, I'll be able to defend the home. And it's like this, like imagined, like, mm-hmm. uh, and it is just like replicating what the Westerns at the time would be, but it's just like, here are a bunch of black men in like, you know, Ugh, uh, right. thief stripes climbing right. over the fence. And then he shoots them. I forgot. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> Great movie. My mom, my mom really liked, my mom really liked, um, Christmas vacation. And my mom really liked all the Home Alone movies. Yeah. Because the the Home Alone movies, her being the youngest one and feeling left out a lot, that's very relatable. Yeah, I really liked Home Alone when I was a kid. I have not, uh, I have not seen it, like, I haven't watched it much recently. Uh-huh. But I remember as a kid, uh, in a way that I think the rest of my my family was like, I thought movie's not that good. When I was a kid, I was like, this is that real shit. <laughs> I think, yeah, people just forget you and then you just have to like fend for yourself. This is that real shit. This is what it's like. <laughs> this is what childhood's like, right? <laughs> this is, this is a documentary about being a child. <laughs> Cause this is what my childhood's like. <laughs> anyway, how are the stairs? I've talked Christmas for too story. fucking much about Christmas story. Um, so we, it, we turned it off before we fully got to, like, we got to, like, the big ending, but there is the part, I remember, where he comes down the stairs and he's wearing the, oh, uh, right, right, the right, like, right. bunny pajamas with the little bunny feet and mm-hmm. stuff, and you see them. But also the movie's not that good, but, like... And there's suburban home stairs. But, like, A-. minus. Okay. Suburban home stairs, but, like, yeah, it's a big... Okay. And then he gets the Red Rider BB gun everything, you know? Yeah. Um, for for a movie like this, it is him. He goes up the stairs, uh, contemplating what he wants to do, and then comes down facing the consequences of his actions, which is that he has to wear the pajamas from his aunt or whatever. Yeah, it does fit the brief in a weird way. Talk about only yesterday. <laughs> the movie's fucking great. I just so I brought some Blu-rays, being like, oh, here's some stuff that we could watch. Um, and found out my parents didn't have a Blu-ray player. Um, but that one was on HBO Max. Right. My brother has HBO. Um, and I was just like, my my brother and my parents don't share accounts. And I was like, what the fuck you doing? <laughs> <laughs> just put HBO on mom and dad's TV so you can watch it while you're over here. You you fucking live five minutes apart. So anyway, um, they only had the dub on there. I watched it. The movie's good. They, it was like know, on in the background. People were talking, having coffee, all that stuff. It's weird. I found this out with the um, HBO Ghibli stuff. You have to select the language you want before you hit play. Oh, okay. So you can watch the subs, but it is not how you would think to switch to the subs. Yeah. So. Um, although this matches like, like Crunchyroll. Funimation, you could, although Funimation had its own weird, fucked up issues, mm-hmm. but you could like be watching something and change the language and the subtitles while you're watching. Yeah, Crunchyroll like lists like the dub as its own season. Yeah, Th- this is more or less how HBO handles it as well. Yeah. It's it's all in there. It's not like only yesterday parentheses dub, only yesterday parentheses sub, but it's more or less the same system. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well. It was still a thing we had on in the background, yeah, probably totally. better. The thing that was weird is it's a dub and they are trying to localize some things. And so there's like stuff that's specifically around like English accents that come up that is trying to replicate like differences in dialects and Japanese. Um, and so like that's a thing that's like talked about. And they specifically just talk about like a thing with like different, you know, 
English accents. Mm -hmm. But then also it is like a show that is about the Japanese country or like a movie that's about the Japanese countryside and like Uh farming the Japanese countryside and like that whole process. And so there's some parts where it just has to like fully just say as best as it can like translate it, but like just the Japanese thing that's happening here with the way that they're like, you know, farming this or whatever. And so it's this weird mix. It was weird watching the dub where I'm like, this is such a strange, cause they're not, they're not, they're trying as much as they can to localize stuff to English, mm-hmm. but they're not able to in a way that's yeah. like going to completely efface. Just Japanese agriculture and English ag- agriculture and American agriculture are all different things, yeah. you know, and the movie is about Japanese agriculture. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't remember stairs. I don't remember. What did I? What did I give? It oh, last time? we. You know what? I think we gave it a pretty good grade. The part last where she time runs up the imaginary runs in imaginary stairs. Yeah. Um. The same. The oldest kid of my my brother. And there's um, also there's also the bit where um, she comes down the stairs and is listening to her older sister and her mom talk about um her bad grades in math class and the, mm, yeah. and then in that moment that you hear the um the stair creak and it's like they're having the conversation they realize she was there the whole time yeah, yeah. i'm just carrying the s forward from the last time i watched this um one other note because we did have have this on in the background uh, this was the same it was like basically right after a christmas story that i put it on um and so my, uh, you know, brother's oldest kid, who's like six or something, uh-huh. you know, well, maybe like seven now, seven or eight. Kids grow up so f- fucking fast. Um, but anyway, he was watching it and had been watching A Christmas Story and then was like, this movie's boring, which I can understand if you're yeah. a kid, a, yeah. a weird yeah. thing. Um but then there was there was the part of like the falling in love and the like running up the stairs. Um, this is like before he like fully gave up on watching the movie. Um, and I made it like he was really confused by like what's happening, and I was like, "Oh, she's falling in love for the first time," and it's like making her feel like she's lying. And he just like bust out laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> Kids are great. I <laughs> uh, just thought it was so funny that someone would fall in love and feel like they're flying. <laughs> Kids are great. I love kids. <laughs> I was like, someday you're gonna understand this movie. <laughs> um, anyway, talk about Star Wars. All right. Here's what's on the spreadsheet. I've got it. There's one TV show that you watched that I'm also gonna talk about here, and I'll probably bring up my other TV show. Uh, here's what's on the spreadsheet: Star Wars, George Lucas, 1977; The Empire Strikes Back, Irvin Kershner, 1980. Here's what's not on the spreadsheet. Tales of the Jedi from 2021. Um, Andor from 2022. Um, season 6 of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Season 1 of Star Wars Rebels. I fell deep into a Star Wars hole, my friends. <laughs> I... Because... <laughs> and... And... Um, over the course of December listened to approximately 51 episodes of A More Civilized Age, plus all the Q&As. So, a lot. The Star Wars brain has been intense. (laughs) 
Um, I feel like I haven't even fully seen the amount of Star Wars brain. I'm assuming just because you and Nora like just Star Wars off each other. Yes, yes. Yeah. Nora, you and I haven't been texting much because I think like um, my mental illness, I've just had a hard time communicating over text the last couple yeah. weeks. And I've um, been like just more, one of the things at work right now is that there's just a lot of calling suppliers. Yeah. Uh, which is just the thing that makes it very hard for me to be like checking Twitter. You know, sometimes I can kind of like see posts that people have done, even though I'm not constantly checking it. Well, or like briefly message someone. Well, and also like a, a thing that's been happening to me with like mental health stuff is just that like I've been getting really hyper fixated on a few things, and then just kind of like not telling anybody about it because I'm worried that it's like weird or annoying. Um. And so, like, yeah, I listened to, like, 50 episodes of A More Civilized Age and kind of tweeted here and there about it. But I don't think anybody I don't think anybody on the planet Earth except Nora realized how much A More Civilized Age I was listening to and, and the clip at which I was listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was also since probably Rise of Skywalker, I have had a general sort of dissatisfaction with the way that Luke Skywalker's uh, story got handled that mm-hmm. now I trade now I'm like, you know, even last Jedi, I didn't really go. I thought I liked last Jedi, but it's not really the direction I would have taken that character. And that like, at some point last year started to coalesce into like, I have ideas for what Luke would have done after return of the Jedi. Um, and then <clears throat> not really going anywhere. And then that is like started to turn into Nora and I are writing a like, Big, like too big. We have we have the scope on this is too big, but we are basically like working together on writing like a Star Wars fanfic book right now. <laughs> like the scope of the thing has just gotten like way out of our hands <laughs> in a fun way. Um, it's fine. We're not you know, yeah, we're not novelists. Maybe we'll finish it. Maybe we won't. But I'm like writing this like fic, um, and. Part of the Star Wars has just been like, well, I need to watch Rebels because I'm bringing in a character whose story happens in Rebels. And I'm not too worried about canon, but I'm like, well, if there's good ideas in Rebels, I should just take those ideas and bring them into this rather than, you know, reinventing the wheel, you know? You are so Star Wars brain right now. (laughs) (laughs) I watched Empire Strikes Back and fucking cried, dude. When he, you, this is the, I've, I've, I myself am learning the depths of this in a way where I'm just like, <laughs> and you make fun of me for being non a <laughs> I, I got to the bit where, where, so, okay. So I, I did the smart thing because Nora and I, every year on Christmas, we watch Star Wars 1977. Love that. Fucking then, classic. Fucking classic. A perfect film. And Nora and I, Nora did not really want to watch Empire, but I really had Empire on the brain, and I rewatched it, and I was really happy I did. I like Empire more every time I watch it. Um, I think you and I are, like, the only two in the friend group who just have a completely different read on what's happening with Han and Leia, that they're just, like, already in a relationship and in a weird bickering fight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also just, like... I think I said this on some other podcast recently. 
I said this on the Star Wars Holiday Special app, where it's like weird because a lot of my friends dislike Empire Strikes Back. And so then I get defensive about, no, Empire Strikes Back is really fucking good, actually. And then I'm like, this is the stupidest thing to be defensive about. I won this culture war a decade before I was born. Everybody has always said that Empire yeah. Strikes Back is the best one. I, took, I can lay down my sword. <laughs> but I fucking cried when um, Luke and Vader are standing in the fucking, like, carbonite facility on, on Bespin and, uh, like start fighting. I just got emotional at Luke and his dad fighting. <laughs> Man, were you high or was this just This was this was also part of what's been going on with me that's made it really hard to do stuff is that usually when I'm winding down for the evening, I smoke a joint and then I'm like, "Oh, I watch a movie and kind of like vibe a little bit." I think I think because I've been so stressed, but I also think because of the weed I bought, Every time I've smoked weed for the last two weeks, bawling, just crying constantly. <laughs> and I think I think it's like I was probably going to cry anyway, and then I smoked weed, and it sort of brought that out of me. Mm -hmm. But it is really, it's like, did I just buy, like, the crying weed? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. Cinnamon Buddha. This gives you that that good crying high, you know. Smoke smoke this when when you want Buddha to reach out one of his many hands, uh huh, uh, to you in compassion and saying you to you in that moment, it's okay to cry. Um, I just think if I you'll have that good fucking cry, that full body cry that just like really gets it all out. <laughs> Um, I just think Empire Strikes Back is so good, dude. Um, and anyway, the, the, whatever, I was about to start explaining my fanfic. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, it's been, it's been, I guess here's what I'll say about my fanfic is that like, it's been really interesting to start thinking about this when like, Listening to A More Civilized Age, watching season six of Clone Wars slash reliving the first five seasons and like all the ways in which Star Wars always Star Wars always could be good and fumbles it constantly in so many different ways, <laughs> you yeah. know? Star Wars is constantly, like, brushing up against being the thing I want it to be and then messing up in some big way. Um, and being in that, um, being in that Clone Wars headspace, which really powerfully puts you there, because you'll watch, like, three of the best episodes, like, you'll watch a three-episode arc, and you're like, this is some of the best Star Wars it's ever been. I basically watched an hour-long Star Wars movie, and it was one of the best Star Wars movies. And then the next one is turbo racist. The next one is like inventing new people to be racist against in new and exciting ways that you never imagined. <laughs> um, Clone Wars is so frustrating. Yeah. Um, and, and so taking that headspace and then taking it into Andor, which for like 11 episodes just gave me everything, not everything I wanted out of Star Wars because 
The thing that I'm writing is very much more focused on the Force and Jedi in a way that Andor is explicitly moving against, you know, moving away from those things. Um, I think that one dude's Jedi, but, you know, we can get there when we get there. Yeah. Um, And then, even Andor, spoilers for Andor, um, but it ended like two months ago, so if you care, you've probably watched it. Uh, It ended a month ago, I guess. So, spoilers for Andor. The final thing that happens in Andor, the the specifically the the big speech from Marva and the the manifesto from Nemec did the thing that I was so afraid that Andor was going to do, which is that like and and a more civilized age also talked about this. This was like a thing I was feeling and then um a more civilized age also hit on it and I was like, "Okay, so I was kind of thinking in the same direction as like these people I respect. That's good to know." Um is that I read Andor because I am a communist in a very communist way. That like I think that the politics that that show is espousing are reflective of my own politics, but that it leaves so much like blank space for if you are a right wing person or if you are a liberal person or a like conservative person, you can read your politics into Andor, and I really. And because it's a Disney thing, it's never going to actually give me the communist yeah. bullshit that I want, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm, t- I'm torn between the sort of like optimistic readings that Andor is doing the best it can in a machine that is going to say, no, you cannot be communist like that yeah. versus the pessimistic. It was always already going to be vague enough that anybody could read anything into it. Uh, uh. Yeah, I think one of the things I said of, like, my final feelings on Andor is I liked watching the show. I thought it was a fun Mm -hmm. show. But, like, any, like, critical engagement I, I have to do with it, like, always starts from the point of, I think the entire premise of, like... The, all the things that Disney has is going to like diversify where the thing you want is there. Mm-hmm. I reject that like premise to begin with. And so like in just like a pure ideological, like what I think of the current media landscape, mm-hmm. like I am opposed to what Andor is, even mm-hmm. as, even as I am aware that it is in many ways giving me like what I want. I am mm-hmm. a, I am like, ideologically opposed to it doing that yeah because i what i don't want is oh disney is just able to like hold a monopoly over a bunch of different types of stories that are yeah and some of them are going to appeal to you yeah totally Um, totally because the biggest and then when i when i start from that point the biggest thing when i watch andor and some of this is me i know other people were like it being star wars is really important to them but i'm like man I kind of want the show that's this, but they don't have to make it Star Wars. Yeah, it must be its own fucking thing. Because I think, I think, one, like, if it was this, but not Star Wars, like, in the end, I think it would take more of a firm stance on, like, what the politics of the show are. Um, and whether, whether I like that answer or not, I think I would at least be more satisfied with it than, like, well, I have my reading of it, you know? Yeah. Um... 
And yeah, I think like a thing we've talked about <clears throat> on this show and on Pop Town um, is like so much of the Disney monopoly is not just about like it is about capturing a sort of like headspace and and, and um, like we talked about it before when we talked about like the Disney um the Disney remakes, the live action remakes and the ways in which they'll incorporate like feminist critique into their retellings yeah. of um uh princess stories and how so much of what that move is doing on Disney's part is you can criticize the Disney thing only on the terms that Disney lays out for you. And I think Andor um I like Andor a lot. I think yeah. it is doing that. I think it is like now capturing all the like trying to wrap into its arms all the critique and all the thought that one might have about Star Wars and saying this is like this is like the little playground that you can have those arguments in, you know, is Andor. And if you like if you think that Mandalorian and Book Book of Boba Fett are stupid well, now we've given you, if you want to think about political Star Wars, we've given you political Star Wars, and you have to sort of debate political Star Wars on, on Disney's terms still. Yeah. Um, and I would like for us all to imagine a world outside of Star Wars. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, ideologically, I'm like kind of opposed to the project of what Andor is. And also, I found parts of Andor very moving. I found, I thought that One Way Out was very moving. I thought that the funeral was very, like, like, touched me in a deep way. You know? Yeah. Um. Oh, this reminds me, so, this is slightly unrelated, but, um, Emily sent me this TikTok that was this person who had watched, like, 125 new, fi- like, films from, like, um, I, I forget, there was some cutoff that was in 2021. But, like, that through, like, the end of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was her, like, ranking her, like, top 15 or 20 or something. Uh, it was, like, a two-part TikTok. She watched one of them without me. And I was like, oh, why didn't you watch it? I would have watched that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Menu. Um, it's just, like, a kind of... It seems like it's a kind of a horror movie, but not in, like, a... It's more, like, shock stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway... Um, and she sent it to me, and I was like, I should try and check out some of these stuff, because I just, I feel like I complain a lot about modern movies, but I'm also sometimes not actively seeking out some of the, like, smaller things that are happening. Uh, but it was also funny, because I was watching through it, and I was like, oh, some of this stuff I might check out. This sounds interesting. Um, and then we got to, like, the top five or something, and uh, the, you know, woman doing the TikTok was like, number five, the Batman or whatever and like it was just like and like number one was everything everywhere all at once and i was like okay well now like i still might try and check some of this other stuff out just to like see but now i have to go into it knowing that like you think that the batman and everything everywhere all at once is better than that yeah <laughs> and i don't know if i'm gonna watch you be like oh this is way better and you just have this different scale uh-huh um or or what, but yeah, it was just bizarre. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things I run into sometimes when I look into like new movie stuff. Um it's sometimes it's just like it's really hard to tell, I think, 
where's the actual, like, where's the interesting new movie stuff that's actually going to appeal to me? And where is it? This is a person who's like made their focus being on top of current cinema. And so they just have to deal with the scraps. I, yeah. And I, I don't like, I, I, I guess I want to watch some more new movies just so I can try and suss out that line for myself. But. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this because we were talking about that one best of the year list a couple weeks ago. Gosh, almost a month now, I bet. Yeah. Um, and we were, um, you know, it's just been the end of the year and I've been just by, just by dent of like, you know, cultural osmosis or whatever, um, been seeing more like film Twitter discourse things in my timeline lately. Nothing like worth really remarking on, but just like Babylon's fall came out and here's like people discoursing about it or, or whatever, you know, yeah. it, it might be called Babylon. It might be called Babylon's fall regardless. Or, or Amsterdam came out. Here's people discoursing about it. And I find it so frustrating because like, I just, I just think that like, um, we, we live in a culture that like very much discourages you from thinking historically. And I think so much of what the project of ornate stairwells is, is thinking always about like film history in relation to the present moment, thinking always about film history in relation to other parts of film history, thinking about like, you know, how does like how to do, do 50s French movies and 50s Japanese movies? Like what is the, you know, like cultural like back and forth that's happening there? You know, yeah, um, the the weird like layers of influence where like um, there's like an era of Japanese like Chanbara. That's mm-hmm. based on like older westerns. Yeah. And then the Italians make spaghetti westerns that are based on these chanbara. And then like Hollywood yeah. makes like uh, you know, revisionist westerns that are like having to pull from spaghetti westerns, as well as pulling from like original stuff and everything. Like yeah. this like weird process of stuff throughout time, like genres like moving through cultures and cycling mm. and like hitting Right, you know, right. Or like, or, and, and so just like, we, we're, and I don't think it's like a, I, I'm not trying to say this is like, oh, we're so much better than these fucking rubes on Twitter. What I'm trying to say is that like, I think if you, and I understand the economics of this, but I think if you have a job um, where you have to be engaged in the cinema of 2023 now, all day, every day. It just makes you short-sighted. And it... This sounds so rude. This sounds so much ruder than I mean it to be. And I feel rude, but I don't want to sound rude. You know? Yeah. Um, But, like, you have to be myopic in your view sometimes. Yeah. You Because you are so focused on what's current. And there's so many movies coming out, and you're trying to, like, keep on top of those. And you're maybe still watching some other stuff, but you are existing in an industry where what you get paid for is talking about Amsterdam, not for talking about how you went back and rewatched, you know, happy together. 
Yeah, or like, It's a Wonderful Life. Like, maybe you yeah. watch that at, at Christmas because you do it every time, but you don't, you're not in a position where that's like what your job is. Your job is to then go watch whatever's currently in theaters and talk about it. Right. And I think that it's just like, I think for me, it's just like that we can't, you know, the, all the all the people who talk about new movies that come out, like so many of them, so many like best of 2022 lists I read start with the premise of 2022, ooh, cinema's in a dire state, tugging my collar, like, ooh, things are pretty bad out here. Um, and so, so many of those articles are, things are pretty bad as far as movies go, but EO was pretty great. You know, but this movie was pretty good. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once shows us that maybe the system can produce worthwhile things sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I just think that if you would like to imagine how the cinema of 2030 might be better than the cinema of 2023, you have to start by, like, thinking historically in any way. And, like, I know that the economics don't encourage you to do that, but, like... Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you got to start somewhere. And like, I don't know. I'm not paying the rent from this podcast, but like it helps pay my rent. <laughs> it's one of the things too, where like I, I think about like I really enjoy Nope. Mm-hmm. One of the big things with Nope, like part of what just feels indicative of the times to me is I'm not the only person who has this read on Nope, which is you watch it and you're like, oh, man. Remember, like, 90s blockbusters? <laughs> <laughs> Remember how that used to be a thing? Uh-huh. And, like, Jordan Peele's just gotten enough, like, cachet and, like, yeah. money built up that he can just, like, kind of do a Spielberg movie because he wants to. Mm-hmm. I should check out Nope. <laughs> uh, and, like, it's a good movie, but, like, it's also weird that, like, I think there's other stuff going on in it. I think there's ways that you can talk about, like, there's a lot of Sontag in mm-hmm. Nope. There's a lot of stuff around, like, um, the idea of the camera and the spectator, like, the person who views what looking means. Um, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and pull up uh, Susan Sontag's works where... Because uh, it's also funny, I have... I don't think I've even brought this up with the Swim Fans boys, uh, but they talked about Nope, and they were talking about how... Um, they think that it's like basically a thing that's on photography. I believe this is the one that they're, that they are talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, I disagree with them. Um, I think it is this regarding the pain of others, Mm -hmm. which is this follow up many years later about it. Mm -hmm. That is like deeply complicating on photography. Mm -hmm. And I think Nope is more engaged with the ideas of that than on photography. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, I'm I don't have anything to contribute to this, but I've been like this is the exact sort of book that I have been um like downloading and trying to read through Natural Reader, you know. I yeah. I I picked up just a a bunch of different like film studies books um that like I'm I'm trying to pick through some Gilles Deleuze right now and it's not making any sense to me, but I'm trying to pick through it. Um like I'm just trying to like you know, think outside the box of like the what the present discourse <laughs> um yeah. allows you to and so yeah i'm like just reminding myself of this so that i can like download it later because yeah i'd love to check this out yeah 
Um, anyway, um, but like, yeah, it's just this thing of like, also like, there's so many, maybe this is my time to talk about the other mm-hmm. thing that I've been watching, which is Emily and I have started watching the show Kaleidoscope. Uh, so we watched Andor and Andor has like, you know, the heist, the prison break, like it has those kinds of things. Um, and I think it just got Emily excited for like heist stuff. Um, and so Kaleidoscope, it's like a Netflix show. Um, and the premise is there's like this giant heist that's going to be pulled off. Um, I'm I'm assuming, so I think at like the first episode, well, there's this thing called, uh, this episode, episode black, that's like a minute and it kind of just explains to you what the premise of the show is. And then there's all these different colors and you can watch like all the colors in any order. Mm. Any of those episodes, you can watch in whatever order you want. And I think everybody gets like a shuffled thing in their own. So even if you just watch straight through, you're still getting like a different shuffle. Hmm. And then the last one you're supposed to watch is white. And we, we haven't gotten there yet. We're more than halfway now, I think. Um, I think that like structuring is kind of, it's an ambitious thing that I think is interesting, but I think is also hampered its ability to fully do like the kind of storytelling. Like it wants you to go back and rewatch stuff and then see things in other episodes after you've seen it. I think that's part of why it's designed that way. Okay. Um, But it's also this kind of thing of like, I think it kind of hampers its ability to like cohere some of what its story is and like be able to tell a story that is like relying on you knowing things and whatever. Like every episode has moments that feels like, Oh, like you'll watch an episode sometimes and you'll be like, Oh, something's being talked about here. And it's having to like, do this double duty where for me right now it's like foreboding or it's like Mm -hmm. giving me some intrigue of what's going to happen in another episode but it also has to be written and structured in such a way that for the people who have seen that episode now it is like referencing that or Uh like bringing that into conversation what's happening right now so that's why i think it's ambitious and i think it's not always pulling it off this Um, this sounds like the a type of ambition that i'm interested in though yeah you know even if it fails at it it sounds like hey you thought about the form of the streaming service that's more than i can say for most people um there's also these moments where there's voiceover and i think some of the voiceovers i mean it, it's fine uh they got a guy where it really feels like they want to have morgan freeman in this mm. role mm. doing like the morgan freeman like distinctive voice because he's also kind of got this distinctive voice um but he doesn't quite have the morgan freeman voice uh, and sometimes the voiceover stuff just feels too, there's, there's one episode in particular where, uh, everything just like, there's like a good, like few minutes at the beginning of the episode where it all just feels like trailer voice where it's just like, you know, uh, but will it do, you know, <laughs> like all the little, like little, little turn, blah, blah, blah. And it's like extremely that writing sometimes. Um, so yeah, the writing is like a little hit and miss. Um, at times, uh, there's been some stuff that I've enjoyed. Um, I mean, so far we've been watching through and I've never felt like extremely lost in a way where I just feel like, ah, it feels like I, it's been too out of order, which I think is interesting. Um, even though I will then watch a later episode and be like, oh, that's what was going on there. Uh, but every episode it is, it starts with like 
this amount of time before the heist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, I'm assuming that episode white is going to be the heist where everything comes together. Um, but anyway, uh, it's been interesting. The way we watched it, the first two episodes had a heist in it. And so it got me excited that every single episode was going to have a heist. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I would do if I was writing the show. And it hasn't fully played out that there has been also a prison break that we've now gotten to. So it is prison like doing break that a is like an bit. acceptable substitute for heist. Yeah. Um, but there's been a few where I'm like, oh, they, they should they should have gotten a little bit more heisty with this one. But uh-huh. anyway, um, yeah, it's been enjoyable. Um, and but it's also like like part of us watching it. I'm just like, well, I should go like legally acquire a bunch of Ocean's movies, right, for us to watch because <sighs> mm-hmm. you just are in a heist mood and we should just watch the best fucking heist movies. (laughs) (laughs) I keep meaning to watch oceans 12 because I know that Emin Jackson will really like that movie, but I don't know why I think there's a twist that a lot of people dislike that Emin Jackson like or something, but that's all I know. So I think also slightly, I think also die hard kind of contribute because emily watched like part of die hard with yeah she was like doing stuff throughout it but she was like there she was like tuning in yeah i think if you're just tuning in every now and then you can uh much more easily get into the mindset of oh alan rickman's the good guy (laughs) (laughs) um did you did you see my tweet on my locked that chisato from licorice recoil really loved die hard yeah and specifically i done like her favorite character is Powell because he trusts uh, McLean despite never having met him. Uh huh. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> I was like, I've seen that movie now. I know what they're talking about in this <laughs> anime I'm watching. <laughs> um, anyway. But yeah, it's also the kind of thing where I'm like, I could also be watching anime. I'll be watching Double Zeta right now. <laughs> um, stairs for Star Wars F. You, oh, you're not gonna give anything for those S for uh, S for uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay, you're just fully tanking the the Triumph of the Will stairs. You're just saying, yeah, fuck those stairs. Yeah, those are the only F yeah. for fuck those stairs. Yeah, the the Triumph of the Will stairs are the only stairs in all of um. I was thinking about th- I was thinking about that watching it. I genuinely I think last year when I watched it, I puzzled over what is what is George trying to say <coughs> by having the triumph of the will stairs here? And I'm this taking from a movie. Yeah, this year I watched it and I was like <clears throat> I think he just thought it would be a cool shot. I think he just didn't think about it. I just think he is like I saw this in a movie once. I'm going to do it in my movie. Not really thinking about the, like, images come from places. And by bringing that into uh, Star Wars, you are bringing in a cultural context that you should probably be prepared to deal with. George Lucas, no thoughts, head empty. Um, You should watch Hidden Fortune. Do we want to announce this on the podcast? No, because I want to. I want to do the documentary thing more. I mean, okay, okay. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <clears throat> Let's also talk about where we're at 
a little bit with Lynch stuff. Yeah, okay, so we've got two more movies on our individual list to talk about, and then we've got two movies to cover as a full segment, so that'll be fun, but okay. We're going to watch Wild at Heart, and then I think we're supposed to start season two of Twin Peaks, right? Yeah. I don't think either of us really want to do that. The thing is, I kind of want to watch Twin Peaks. Yeah. But I don't know if I want to watch Twin Peaks as, like, the thing that we are watching and then podcasting about. I don't I don't really want to do it as the thing we are watching and podcasting about. I could I could happily watch it on my laptop while I work. Yes. And then we kind of talk about it in the background. We get so little time to watch stuff. Yeah. That it getting any eaten up by Twin Peaks is not as fun as fun as I imagine it to be. We're not really equipped for doing a TV podcast like this. That's the big thing. Is sometimes it's nice to sit and watch Twin Peaks, but I think we also just like movies a lot. We like watching movies a lot. I think we have the most fun watching movies. Yeah. Um, and I I said everything that I want to say about the end of The Return in the Blue Velvet episode. So I'm just kind of like, I feel like I'm watching Twin Peaks. And, and then we like, kind of have re- reiterated it throughout the first season. Yeah, and I'm just like, I don't know how many more times I can do that. I and know. I want to rewatch it, and I want to watch like the other Lynch shows that I got on DVD. Yeah, and... yeah I want I really want to do Wild at Heart and Lost Highway and The Straight Story and Inland Empire and all. all I want to do all the movies. Yeah, and I even mean, even Twin Peaks. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll do Fire a Fire Walk, Walk with yeah. Me episode. Like we got to do that episode. Yeah, but. But I don't really want to do yeah, a TV podcast. We might just like sorry if people are deeply, deeply disappointed by this. I guess write in and let us know. I get, but what? I feel like we've just reached the. I'm like still ever so slightly on the fence, but I feel like we've just reached the point of like we're gonna we're gonna skip the shows. We're just gonna do the movies. We, yeah, we want to like get through David Lynch to some extent in a way that is very hard to do when we're watching yeah. a, a TV show, even three episodes a week. Yeah, I just. My enthusiasm for it just got, like, kind of killed by, like, us running into... We're just not, like... We were really well equipped to talk about the Twin Peaks pilot. I thought that episode was really good. Yeah. And then the rest of season one happened, and it's like, this is not what our skill set is. This is not what we are good at. This is not the thing that we enjoy doing. And now we've spent a month trying to weasel out of it. (laughs) I have spent a month trying to weasel out of it. <laughs> yeah. See, I think we're just going to do the movies. Yes. Um, And we might periodically go... Ho- we'll try to decide yeah. beforehand and not just, we'll, like, put off watching. But we may occasionally be like, eh, we watched a couple of David Lynch movies and we're going to take a week off and we're going to watch this thing or something. Let's... And, and we will watch... You and I are going to rewatch seasons two and three. And I'll try to keep, we'll try to keep pace with each other. We'll try to check in. Hey, I feel like I'm going to watch an episode of Twin Peaks today. Where are you at? You're on episode four. Okay, I'm going to watch episode five and six. You just catch up with me tomorrow when you can. Yeah. You will try to like. We did this with Deep, Deep Space Nine. We did this with Deep Space Nine. We did this with Turn A. We know how to do this. Yeah. And then, then it doesn't have to be our like. Because like f- pulling back the curtain. Like I come over here on Fridays. Around the time you get off work, we eat dinner together, we put your kid to bed, <laughs> um, 
like it's uh, like nine o'clock usually before we can do stuff. And I just would rather spend that time watching a movie, you know, I, I just would rather do that than rather than watching even three episodes of Twin Peaks, which then just becomes movie length and then going, we're going to have the same conversation again that we had last week. What is there that I have to say about these ones that feels new to what I want to actually talk about? Yeah. And not just like, I thought that moment was funny because it's just not. Yeah. I mean, people can listen to Ghost Divers. Ghost Divers is structured the way it is for a reason. And also, Connor and I barely talk about any of that stuff until we get in front of a mic, which is so much yeah. different than the way that Ornate Stairwells works, which is that we usually watch the thing we're going to talk about together and then talk well, about and, it. And the way that you and I talk about stuff, that you can listen to the um, Ghost Divers. Uh, you, can talk, you can listen to the Ghost in the Shell 95 episode of this podcast slash Ghost Divers. You and I get into a room and just have a very different conversation about a movie than what you and Connor have. Whereas I've reached this point where I still sometimes take some notes. Some mm-hmm. of it is geared towards, I'm a little bit more in charge of like doing a synopsis. Yeah. Um, and also some of it is just like, I often don't even really check this. Some of the stuff I write down. It's just purely the, the act of like not even looking at what I'm writing, looking at the screen and my hands moving, mm-hmm. like helps lock in certain thoughts in my head where I can then pull them out on a podcast. But that Ghost Divers in some ways works now because I know that Connor is going to do notes. Yeah. That I know that Connor is going to come with notes about like themes and things that he wants to talk about. Yeah. And I have things that I want to talk about. We can just bounce off of each other, but like I don't have to do notes in that way. But you two don't do like an aesthetics podcast like we do. And because it's geared towards TV, we are talking about like characters and themes. Yeah. But also, we are doing it in a way where I don't think I could do something like GGP. I don't yeah. think I could do two episodes of a show at a time. I need like six, seven, eight episodes so that I can talk about arcs and things. And aesthetics inform themes. That's what this this show is about, is that aesthetics and themes are actually one and the same. But, like, those aesthetics don't change from week to week, really. Yeah. And so there's not, like, new material to discuss. Yeah. Well, and I mean, some of it is coming down to, like... TV shows, for me, the aesthetics are obviously there, but talking about the show becomes so much more about the characters and the plot and things, Uh because it's such a long-form thing, Mm -hmm. whereas this is, like, also true when we do, like, sagas. I'm talking far more about, like, what are the characters, what are the themes happening here on Around the Long Fire, because most sagas have a very similar aesthetic mode, which is that things tend to have very limited language, are terse, you get some delightful humor from that sometimes, where you get uh, people responding to Christians trying to, to baptize them, saying, not really. <laughs> and that's just funny because it's so like terse and you know um it's been really interesting um uh, today i recorded the first episode of our billy bat episodes of um coughing comic books and we've been covering shorter things we've been covering graphic novels or like the the series we'd cover before this is like 10 issues you know on this first episode, well, I, I'm not as quite as familiar with like, especially like the, um, you know, the the big two comic stuff. Those like issues are like twenty pages, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so like the two thousand one stuff, we covered ten issues. 
or Winterman, we covered six issues. Um, Winterman is functionally like a graphic novel. Um, yeah. Billy Bat, just today on the first episode, we covered five, the first five of 20 volumes. Yeah. And the way that we had been talking about stuff was very, was very geared toward aesthetics. And then you get into something serial like Billy Bat, and that was definitely part of the conversation in a big way. But more of the conversation was like, let's just break down the events of the plot, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that episode turned out really good. I was very happy with that episode. I'm always happy with coffee and comic books. Um, but it, it is interesting to see how the format of the thing you're reading just totally reshapes the type of conversation that you're yeah. able to have. Whereas, like, there are definitely movies that have characters that I remember and think about. Like, we talked a fair amount about the the character in in a lonely place and yeah. how that informs it. Well, we also talked about the aesthetics and the way that it is like talking, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think movies, to me, you know, to some degree, part of the like ethos of this podcast, like the erotics of cinema, is that like movies are short. Mm-hmm. Like even a four hour movie. Mm-hmm. is short form compared to a lot of other storytelling. Yeah. Um, and so that, I think, often relies more on, uh, like, gestures of characters mm-hmm. rather than, like, super flushing out a character. Yeah. Uh, or the movie might be about a character, but then so much of it, like, the entire thing becomes about, like, one character. Like, there's obviously other characters in Citizen Kane, but when you think about Citizen Kane, it is about like showing the many facets of the man, yeah. right? And so that he's a character, but it's like a movie that's all about him. Yeah, the other people, the supporting characters in Citizen Kane, do not get that same treatment. Yeah, you know. Whereas if there was a Citizen Kane TV show, those characters would get a, a similar amount of development to Kane himself. Yeah, um, we should talk about the projects that we are interested in anyway, yeah, gearing the- up instead. Yeah, the two ones that we're interested in, and I think that these can kind of yeah. run concurrently. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, these are not neither these are, of these we want to have. We're watching it nonstop. Yeah, these All this months. is similar to the the Yakuza project of last year, yeah, uh, of the previous two years. So, um, the first one is documentaries. Yeah, uh, I did a list of documentaries. It's kind of like a a class uh, a crash course. Yeah, in um. Some like documentary history stuff. If you were teaching um, a seminar on the history of documentary, this is like the. I w- I would probably pare down this for the watch list. Yeah, it's a little bit longer than that, and I I might pare it down too before we start watching because I I have like multiple things on there where it's like I have multiple things from TV TV just because I think that that mm-hmm. stuff's interesting, but we could watch one or two. Yeah, you know, I think that you should watch the Good Times Are Killing Me. I think for us talking about what is TV TV, how does the port pack change what the documentary is, mm-hmm. um, probably Five Day Bicycle Race is the best one, which is like a documentary about an election. But like being like, like what's so dramatic about that is it's one of the first times that they took a port pack into like a big political event like that. Mm-hmm. And people are like aware this is different. This is not the normal cameras that like a, a crew would have while they're here documenting this, but they also don't really know what to do mm-hmm. with these like kind of weird hippies, druggies suddenly showing up at like this convention yeah, and pointing this weird new camera at them. And so there's like a, there's like a certain, 
there's a way that it, like transforms the way that you can do like cinema verite kind of stuff. I love the way that like quietly, just the low hum in the background that many people don't notice, I think, is that Ordinate Stairwells is intensely like a technolo- technological determinist podcast. <laughs> That like yeah. the technologies that you make the movie with determine what the movie is. This is a, this is extremely true for documentaries, and yeah. I think this is something that'll come up a lot when we talk about documentaries. Is like what camera you are pointing at somebody, especially a person who is not an actor who is trained for mm. being in front of a camera. What camera you are pointing at somebody is going like yeah. one. The act of pointing a camera at somebody yeah is going to change how they behave. Just yes. full stop. Yes, um, unless you've like fully hidden it. And even then, there's still things to to which degree are people like one it, how how much is that like legal? But right. then also like to which degree do people like become aware in some weird way that they're being observed? Uh-huh. Even just like as a yeah. Anyway, um, but like especially if you are pointing a camera at somebody and somebody can see it, you can maybe reach a point where the person's going to start kind of forgetting that the camera's there because it's there all the time. Yeah. Or they're going to start behaving, but like it is always slightly mm-hmm. transforming how someone behaves. Yeah. Um, and what that camera is, what that camera looks like, is going to change things too. Uh, iPhone camera is going to be so much different than like pointing a a porta pack or like a little handheld yeah. camcorder is going to be so much different than. Like a big fucking TV, mm-hmm. like you know. Yeah. Um, if you have like a a thing that is for shooting like a film or TV, like you know, big like planted on the ground, all of that, you have like a cameraman doing it. No one's gonna be like, get that thing out of my face because they're like aware it's, that it's that thing distance. is in the room. Yeah. You know, there there's probably more expectation that they are going to be in front of that. Yeah. Before it gets into, but then they might be nervous in a different way. Well, and there's also an awareness, like, there's a different awareness to this is being broadcast on live TV to, oh, oh, I'm being in, I'm in a documentary right now. If I stumble over a word, someone's just going to cut it out, you know? Yeah. Or the iPhone pointed at you which you're probably more often going to assume this is going to end up on social media, even if they are recording it to do it in a documentary. Uh But you still have like a different sense, just what the camera is of how this is going to be used, what it's for. Um, I I had this happen recently. You behave. I, uh, I did that interview, um, when I was on strike. Um, and it was very funny watching back the interview. Uh, because in the moment, so I had this guy, he had a, iPhone, he's like filming me on his iPhone, but the thing that I was more in tuned to was that he had a, like a little, um, like a little like field mic, um, yeah. in my face. It was very funny. I think that cause he interviewed two or three different people who were on strike with me the, that day. And in that video, you see like other reporters at other strikes interviewing other, other folks. And I was like, okay, so probably lots of people did interviews I got chosen, and I was thinking about that. And I was like, "Well, he put a mic in my face, and I turned into a podcaster." On yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is like I started doing a podcast about Starbucks working conditions. <laughs> yeah, in that moment. Yeah, the weird thing about podcasts is people probably listen to this and feel like they know me to some extent, and that's true. They do. I talk about my personal life and things like that on but here. But you also know the performance of me. Yes. Yeah, you you do know a very different me than just like 
how I you am do, in my day-to-day life. You do not talk this much when there's not a mic in front of you. No, I do not. <laughs> um, the The fact that this is being recorded means that this comes up because I think Em's a little bit more comfortable with like silence on a mic than I am. Uh-huh. So there are times on on uh, around the long fire. Where I'm just like, oh God, we haven't talked. Like I like get this moment of like panic, and I just like like uh, M doesn't respond immediately, and so I just keep going because I'm just in like, especially for me, radio. It's just like you audio has got to be happening because you don't want someone turning on the radio station and hearing silence and being like, oh, I guess nothing's here and moving on. Yeah, like you, yeah, it's yeah. just uh, it's just the way that I've especially been wired from also doing radio. Um, but you truly do not talk this much. No, I don't. <laughs> and it's also a thing because there's other pe- places where people are like, "Oh, you're really good at like talking or or being in these situations." But like another thing, so be- some people were talking about like this came up in the Discord around like, "Oh, you listened to it, you were on it," and it's like when we are on a podcast, there is so much like I'm listening to what you're saying, uh-huh. but I always have to be constantly thinking. I have to be constantly ready for if there's silence or I'm supposed to talk, yes. that I need to jump in Yes, in a way where when I was like on the inclusion console at work, I could just sit there and not say a fucking word for like a half hour and listen to someone sit there with bizarre, awkward, uh, mm-hmm. silence for, two minutes uh-huh. just waiting for somebody in the you know discussion group that i was leading to talk uh like just extremely comfortable with silence in that uh-huh. scenario in a way that i am not when a mic is here <laughs> this mic like fully transforms how i talk yeah um anyway the other project we've been talking about doing um and i think we have like a method with this that we're happy with is um we want to talk about um all of akira kurosawa's films mm-hmm. um we do not want to cover that in the way that we approached Lynch. And so I think what we're talking about doing is at least one Kurosawa movie every month. I don't yeah. know that that's starting in January. I don't know that that's starting in February. Yeah. But like maybe in March, just talking about one Kurosawa movie a month, maybe two if the spirit moves us. I think maybe three, probably not four. So I think what's going to happen, correct me if you have a different vibe on this we're gonna watch wild at heart we're gonna start watching twin peaks in the background and then we're gonna be doing movies mm-hmm. when we're doing that one of the things i want to hit uh i want to watch multiple movies from med hondo um i don't know if we're gonna be able to watch through all of his stuff um i'm not like fully invested in that project in a way uh but i've seen like i've seen one of his movies and really enjoyed it and i always wanted to check out more so i want to hit some of those um especially because we've just been doing the widest director ever. (laughs) This came up previously, but, um, so, but I could, I could see it being like, okay, we're watching stuff. We then get back to like, we finished watching Twin Peaks in the background. Yeah. We watch some more David Lynch a lot. Once we like finish David Lynch, then we start doing Kurosawa like once a month or something, but we might start it earlier. Yeah. But I think until we're done watching David Lynch stuff, I don't want to hold this to a Kurosawa a month. Yeah, yeah. Because I just don't That's want it. too many concurrent. I was, I was projects. absolutely not thinking about the the David Lynch spinning plate when I was thinking about the Kurosawa spinning yeah. plate. So yeah, well, but I think it's fine if we want to be like, eh, let's watch like uh, those who tread on tigers' tails or whatever, uh-huh. just to start this out. Because I think we'll also go through chronologically. Yeah, It'll be the interesting yeah. way. So if we in February want to watch it, but then we're not really going to get to the project until. 
the summer or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with us still just kind of starting the project slowly. Uh, especially cause those first ones are, we're probably going to want the most gap. Cause we'll be like, this, these aren't that great. This is the big thing is that I'm worried about like, like once we get to like stray dog, once I think, we get to stray dog, it's, I mean, we're still going to have to watch scandal. Like, but like once we but, get to, like, I just, I think it'll be important for the project and for the holistic understanding but I'm really not looking forward to like the first like little stretch of this. And then like once we get to like once we get like out of the forties, basically. The thing let me just pull up the um We have four more movies to talk about. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um doing the filmography for Kurosawa here. Uh List of Works by Akira Kurosawa. Um so like I feel like we'll have some fun with like Sinchiro Sagata. Mm-hmm. They're not the best, so we'll have fun. Drunken Angel, I hear good things about that one. Yeah, then we hit uh, No Regrets for Our Youth, which we've already seen. We could maybe watch it or skip it. Um, we could maybe watch it and also watch Those Who Make Tomorrow and, like, you know, kind of roll those into one episode or something. Yeah. Uh, one Wonderful Sunday is genuinely a great romantic movie. I think you will really enjoy this Okay, one. okay. So, like, um, basically, like, once we get... Yeah, and then we, like... Drunken Angel, Quiet Duel. I think there's going to be, like, at this point, we're going to have Mifune there. So at yeah. the very least, we're going to be enjoying young, hot Mifune. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, like, I know you hate Scandal a lot. But it basically, like, once you get to Stray Dog, it's like, there's the movies that people talk about. There, there's the reason that Kurosawa is the yes. most beloved director ever. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll get to these ones in, like, not all these ones are the ones that everyone talks about, but we'll be like in it, and I, none of them are bad. And I think really... I think we're gonna be really excited about Dodeskadin. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know that like listeners are gonna be like chomping at the bit for our coverage of of uh, Dersu Uzala, but I'm chomping at the bit for it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, man, high and low, dude. Anyway. But anyway, we'll get to the Hidden Fortress. And... Is that my phone? Oh, yeah, you're fine. Um, all right. Mm. It's 1110. Let's get... Yeah. Let's get trucking. Um, oh, I'm very grateful for the people who continue to send in emails as we record, but I also loathe you in this moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Um, uh Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Tell me all about it. Uh so this is a uh, um did you do the the name Nagisa Oshima? Or did you... Uh oh, I did not flip that. That okay. needs to be flipped. Still. Yeah, I was like I feel like I feel like uh Oshima Nagisa would be the order. Yes. Um Okay. I just copy pasted it from um, box. Thank you. We also yeah. we have to fix the happy together title in here. Yeah. At the very least. And, Maybe yeah. some other stuff. Um, I watched this on the first, or no, going into, so it was like the night of the 20th, going okay. into Yule. Um, and I was up late because, one, I didn't want to have to do the full prep for Roladen, which I make every 21st, which is the first day of Yule. Uh, it's just like this big meal. Um, it's like special. My Oma used to make it. Yeah. I make a different version, but I think... We kind of made that together. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but I did a lot of the prep the night before where I was, like, doing the filling and rolling them and everything. Because uh, that's the most 
time intensive is like pounding the meat and everything. Yeah. Um, I did the fun part, which is browning the meat and making the gravy and all that. Yeah. <laughs> I did the not not very labor intensive, just attention intensive. But I was like, well, while, I, while I'm doing this, um, and like Emily was doing a bunch of prep stuff too, because we were going to have to leave for Michigan and everything. Uh, so she just wasn't even around. So I was just like, I'm just going to put on Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. You know, she was in the bedroom, like uh-huh. doing stuff. So uh, I was making it and then I finished it and the move. I sold like a half hour of the movie. So then I wrapped presents yeah. for the remaining half hour. Um, it's not really a Christmas movie, but around Christmas is always the time where I'm like, I should rewatch that. Yeah. So I just decided to do it. Um, purely based, based on, I mean, Christmas comes up in it. Obviously. Obviously. This line is basically said twice, mm-hmm. both times. So I beat Takeshi, uh, who does star as one of the people in this movie, along with David Bowie. Yeah. Did you also know this? This, this, this is a star studded cast. This is yeah. a cast going after my heart. Um, um, I knew this from last year when you talked about Merry Christmas. You just search Merry I, Christmas. <laughs> I always, because it's always because I'm like in my mindset where Merry I... Merry Christian, Mr. Lawrence. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's always in that mindset where I'm like trying to think and I want to be able to like talk if the moment comes. Uh-huh. And so I'm never like thinking as deeply about what I'm typing in. Yeah, it's just always things. funny. Uh, it's gotten me so many fucking times. Um, anyway, uh, Sakamoto Ryuchi is the, the, who he, he, uh, is one of the people in the movie, but he also does music. So he's the guy who did the soundtrack. Who is Sakamoto Ryuchi? Um, he, he's, I think most people know him for his, uh, I know this name. I know this name and it's bothering me that I can't. He did the music for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, The Last Emperor, um, like a bunch of movies. Uh, I think some video also games worked as, well. as okay. He worked on a bunch of video games. I probably know him from video games. Yeah, I mean, that, I I know I that's just me knowing more video game composers than film composers. Um, if you have uh, listened to the like uh, playlist that Austin does for Friends of the Table seasons, I think it, at least like one or two of the mech seasons have had stuff by him. Um, yeah, you can see if there's something specific that that pops up. But. Yeah, you you talk about you talk about the movie while I look this um, up. But like in a weird way, like I I also listened to the main theme from Mister or Merry Christmas, Mister Lawrence at Christmas because it's just a good song. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, it's this movie that's kind of hard. So it's based off of like I think an actual autobiography from um a British POW um who is in a uh like you know uh Japanese prisoner of war camp. Um but uh it's interesting because I feel like I mean, it's a mix of English and Japanese. Like, people are speaking the language that would make sense for them to be speaking. So most of the Japanese characters speak Japanese. Most of the, uh, you know, English characters speak English. Um, and then there are the characters who can speak both and kind of talk with each other. Or might sometimes talk okay. and say something, you know, because they're talking. This person who can speak some English is going to talk to the English people to tell them something. Right. You know. Um, or is going to talk with the the guy who knows some Japanese has become the kind of like uh, 
unofficial spokesperson for everybody because he can like talk more. Um, mm. Anyway, um, it's an interesting movie. I think like it's one of those where if I was really going to try to like dig into the politics of it, I would want to like just sit down and watch it and really be thinking about it and right. like, um, maybe refresh myself more with some of the exact history of the time that it's taking place. Um, but, uh, I was watching it while I was doing a bunch of Yule prep stuff. Um, and so for that, I was kind of enjoying, like, I think there's some really interesting aesthetic things here. There's a lot of like really long shots, uh, both like length wise, as well as like long takes, like far away and then like long takes. Um, there's lots where you see like many people. Um, I think it's like, it's the kind of script that I feel like could end up feeling like really weird and, um, you know, orientalist or something about stuff. Uh, if you had like a, uh, English director directing this movie, Uh but the fact that it is a Japanese director, like, but then there's also the stuff of it like being based on like the memoirs or whatever of like an actual English soldier and all that. Like, I, I think it is like truly trying to find some sort of thing where, um, you know, some of it is about like the, the, uh, English soldiers finding things like, um, you know, seppuku, like weird and like not really understanding that. And then, um, and then some of the like Japanese soldiers not understanding why why someone would like be okay with being a prisoner rather than dying. Mm-hmm. Like why would why they would like have that choice <coughs> to choose to be a prisoner? Mm-hmm. Um, that that like doesn't seem like a good life to them or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and like people trying to like a lot of it becomes this like people trying to understand across cultures like relationships with death and like honor and. Um, all of that kind of stuff um, in a way that makes it kind of interesting. There's also this undercurrent of, um, I think it's the character played by uh, Sakamoto Ryuchi. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this, so Salier's being uh, played by David Bowie. Um, and uh, this like head of the camp, like has this like, homoerotic fascination with David Bowie's character. Who doesn't? Uh, And so, like, some of it also becomes this, like, weird uh, relationship that develops there where, um, you know, David Bowie kind of wants to escape and is, like, more uppity and stuff, but is also, like, given some leeway to be that because this other guy, like, kind of enjoys having that antagonistic relationship as, like, a thing that he's engaging with. Um, One of the, like... This is... I guess spoiling stuff from the end. I don't know if you want me to say it or not. You definitely told me the ending of this movie when you watched it last year. So, um, and I don't remember it. David Bowie dies. Yeah. And, uh, shortly before he, like literally like moments before his death, um, the, the guy goes out and cuts a lock from his hair and it's just like such a weird charged gay image. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's an interesting film. It's one of those that like, I think because of its, it being based on like an actual memoir, there's like this, there's a structure to it, but it's not like a normal film structure. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of has like weird, 
there's a weird shape to it from what you would like expect from a lot of films. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like things left hanging or things that feel like kind of inconclusive or things kind of like move strangely through time where you'll get like weird flashbacks and things. Um, some, especially at the beginning, I feel like as it goes on, you get a little bit clearer, but there, there are moments at the beginning where it's like unclear if they're, how much they're jumping around through time. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I think a fair amount of it is linear, but like stuff is like allowed to be dislocated sometimes. Um, in a way where it can be slightly disorienting, but I think intentionally. Sounds cool. Um, but yeah. I, I'd really like to watch it. I just didn't. <laughs> yeah. But I remember um, you watching it last year and I was like, ah, I really should, I should really should watch that. And then, yeah. Yeah. Wait, was it, um, David Bowie was cast as Jack Selliers as the, on the strength of his performance in the elephant man. Oh, this is the play. Yeah, play. I was like, he was not in that movie. What? Um, oh. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. So, my last movie that I watched, Lonesome, and then we got the other two, uh, is Until the End of the World. This is Vincent's End of the Welt. Um. This is uh, Vim Vendor's 1991 film. It is by far his most ambitious project that he ever makes. Um, this movie is ludicrously expensive. It is four hours and 47 minutes long. When it was released theatrically, they cut it down to two and a half hours. Vendor's was not pleased with the theatrical version. <laughs> um... But I, 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 it took me a couple days, uh, but I, I watched through this um, over the holiday and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Um, it is not, it's interesting to be doing this a couple weeks out. There's so much of Wings of Desire and so much of Paris, Texas and so much of the American friend that really like sits with me, lives with me. I'm I'm thinking of these images all the time. And I don't have that same feeling about Until the End of the World. But while I was watching it, I did think it was really, like, I do think it's really good. I think the ambition, um, I think it's easy to see the length of this and the, the like, what it is. And I'll get into, like, what it is in just a moment. And be like, there's no way that he follows through on that. I think he does follow through on it. I don't think that, like... I don't think it's as successful as some of his shorter, smaller films. But, like, I really appreciate um, the all the things that it's trying to do and that it does so much. So this is... Um, <clears throat> Vendors envisions this as like the ultimate road movie. And so you're introduced to a character whose name I am forgetting Claire. Um, but if you could pull up a cast and a, a <laughs> all that, that would be a huge help to me. Um, so Claire is the, okay. Claire is a woman with sort of self-destructive tendencies. Sam Neill playing Eugene, 
Uh, uh, Claire is played by Solvig Domartin. Um, this is the Hunger. Is she in the Hunger? She is in Wings of Desire. Oh, Wings of Desire. She's that's a, right. She is the woman who does the monologue to the end. She is also romantically involved with uh, vendors through this whole period, um, and she is a co-writer on this movie, I believe. Um, she is the ex of Sam Neill, um, playing Eugene Fitzpatrick. Um, I'm probably just going to refer to him as Sam Neill through this thing. <laughs> um, and he is the most divorced man who's ever been in a movie ever, 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 ever. He's like narrating this whole thing and like me being like kind of like a misogynist about it the whole time in a way that like an ex-husband can be. Um, <clears throat> Claire um, uh, is driving her car and she accidentally gets into a wreck with these two guys who just robbed a bank. And they basically give her a bunch of cash and um, tell her, like, hey, we need you to drive to Paris because they'll, like, they'll know our car. But if you take the cash um, to Paris, then they won't pull you over. And they'll pull us over and they'll be like, oh, they don't have the cash. They must not be the bank robbers. Um, on her way to Paris... She then gets involved with this other guy <laughs> um, who is, let me see here, William Hurt playing Sam Farber. Um, <clears throat> and he's got his own weird crime story going on. And Claire instantly falls in love with him. And for reasons she is unclear on, he is on a like globe-trotting adventure. He's running from the CIA and the FBI and Interpol and the Soviets and etc. Um, and she's in love with him, and he treats her like shit. Uh, and Sam Neill. So, so she goes. She she's into him. She gets separated from him. Um, she hires this uh, the last main member of the cast who is, uh, I think Eddie Mitchell is Raymond here. Uh, no, but I don't care enough to look for this. Uh, oh, it's it's Rudiger Vogler as um, Philip Winter, who's like very, very much like guy who is a private eye and wears his little hat to work every day because he's like, I'm a private eye. I wear my private eye hat, like in the yeah. movies and like in the books I read. <laughs> Um, and so she hires this private eye to, to follow Farber on his globetrotting adventure. Um, she reveals he can't, he, she reveals that she can't pay him because the other guy, uh, has all the money. The bank robbers are following her because she had, they think she has the money. Uh, Sam Neal is following her because He's in love with her, and then eventually the private eye is also following her because he's also in love with her, and she's following Farber and never catching up with him. And this is the best part of the movie, to me, because it's just like, they go to Paris, they go to Venice, they go to um, Brussels, I think, they go like all around Europe, they go to San Francisco, they go to Japan, they go to... So this is where that budget went. This is where the budget goes, is that like, the budget goes into vendors found his five best friends and just was like, let's just go all over the world and I'll just bring a camera with us. 
Um, and this is a lot of fun. It's not always like good, but it's surprisingly propulsive. Yeah. Like, like the 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 constant chase like maintains momentum for like two and a half, three hours in a really impressive way. Like I thought it would have lost steam and it didn't. Eventually they get to um, Australia, which is where um, Farber was going to begin with, William Hurt. And um, he, so he's been doing these weird, like he's got this like VR headset that he's been carrying around. And keep in mind that it's the 90s. Um, and, uh, he's been like taking videos of a bunch of people he meets with this VR headset. And what this VR headset is supposed to do is it is supposed to make like, it is supposed to take videos that blind people can see specifically his mother is blind and they're making like home movies basically. And they've been going all around the world and meeting up with all his mother's like, um, old friends and acquaintances and making these like movies for her to watch basically not like movies but like oh your friend who you haven't seen in 30 years like um both literally like you have not been in the same room as this person and also like you've been blind <laughs> um and uh yeah so that's what that's what he's been doing he gets back to australia and he's going to go show his mom these videos um, on their little sci-fi VR thing. <clears throat> um, and there's another... The other subplot that's been happening over all this is that it's like, it is the year 1999, and um, a nuclear satellite above above the world has gone wild, and no one can get in control of it. And basically, like, um, there's like a low-level like anxiety through the most of the film about at some point that nuclear satellite is going to make impact with the earth and they don't know what's going to happen, you know? So until the end of the world, they think the world might end. Um, <clears throat> and then it does like basically like, uh, within a, like Farber is like 10 miles from home basically. And the, the satellite comes down and basically all these people are in Australia and they're like, well, I, I was planning to go back to, to Paris after I got paid or I got was planning to go back to Paris after I convinced you to marry me again or whatever. But the, the I don't know if Paris is still there. Like the, the nuclear satellite like wipes out all the like, you know, communications basically. And so they're just like, I guess we just live in Australia now. <laughs> Um, and at, at this point, Farber goes and meets up with his dad, played by Max von Sydow, and they have a really toxic relationship, and his dad's building this huge, big sci-fi machine to show his wife the, the, the movies, and the movies are pretty cool. Um, the, the movie really loses steam at this point, but it, it, it picks up a thread that has been there the whole time, it really, like, picks up with gusto at this moment. And you get, like, Farber's dad is really obsessed with making this machine work. Because, like, they try it, and it doesn't work, or it makes, you know, 
uh, it's really hard to make it work. And he's really obsessed with making this like perfect movie for his wife to see. Right. And meanwhile, um, and, and, and he's very isolated. Like he live like he's in this like lab, which is down below the earth. They moved the lab down below the earth because they knew that when the satellite crashed, it would fuck up their shit. So they're like, well, if we get it so many feet below ground, the EMP wave isn't going to fuck with us, basically, or whatever. Sci-fi bullshit. (laughs) Um, Above ground, you have the the various array of weird Europeans um, who are living in a community now with, um, like, the indigenous people of Australia that, like, Max von Sydow's character has, like, 100% like, just colonized the fuck out of them, but he's like, oh, but I'm nice about it. You all like me. (laughs) Um, And, like, all these people are sort of in a community together and, like, just kind of start playing music together, and um, the the movie in this last little stretch takes up, like, okay, the world has ended, um, and, like, People are sort of worried about, like, radiation poisoning and all these sorts of things. And what do we do when we think the world has ended, when we don't have anywhere else to run to? These people start making music together and making art and drawing and just, like, doing these sorts of things. And it has, like, been a been a thing throughout the whole movie of, like, why do people make art? What it, like, compels us to make art? Um, and the movie, like, sort of reaching this place of, because we got nothing else to do. Because it's just a thing that humans like doing is creating and sharing and, um, you know, doing all these things together. Um, There's also, there's a lot of other stuff I didn't talk about. Like, this movie is thinking a lot about race. And, um, being racist at times, but being thoughtful, but kind of racist. (laughs) Um, doing, Doing the classic thing of, like, being aware that like Max von Sydow like exploiting and colonizing this um like group of indigenous people is bad while also still portraying those that group of indigenous people with a lot of racial stereotypes that I don't think are like true <laughs> you know that sort of thing um same with like um they they go to San Francisco and they meet up with like people who immigrated to San Francisco from Japan and there's like you know, stereotypes about that type of person that I'm just like, so you're, you're thinking about immigration, but you are also reproducing all the racist stereotypes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought this movie, it's no wings of desire, but it left me with a lot of cool images and things to think about. Um, and also it takes a really, bu- takes a really bizarre, the, the ending the last 10 minutes are terrible. It just like suddenly the quality of the movie just like plummets because um, Solvig Dormartin. Um, or that's another thing is it's like all these men are obsessed with her and like objectifying her and being kind of misogynist to her. But also you're just kind of doing the thing where you're being like objectifying and misogynistic. <laughs> anyway. There's a bit at the very end where she just gets addicted to her phone and the movie just becomes very terrible very suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) You are Googling deep cover. I watched a five-hour movie. I had to tell you what happened in it. You didn't have to. 
I'm just laughing because you're like, yeah, you know, none of it like left an impression on me. Like the other Vim vendors that no I've one's seen. gonna, no one's and, gonna watch the five hour movie. I had to tell you what was in the five hour movie. This is for the listeners, not for you. Okay. <laughs> Sounds interesting. No one's gonna watch this anyway. Who cares? I was just laughing as you like did a deep cover. Which is just what I'm now going to call it when you, like, synopsize the entire movie. You just get into doing a synopsis. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just teasing you a little. <laughs> um, anyway, it sounds interesting. I mean, it doesn't sound as good as some of his other stuff. Yeah, no. It sure doesn't I'm... sound like a Paris, Texas. If you, if you hear... Instead of going to Paris, France, what if they try to go to Paris, Texas and never even get there? If you like Vim Vendors movies and you're like, I'll watch the five hour Vim Vendors movie that's like four stars, I it's good. It's really good. It's not like if you are like, that's a five hour movie, don't watch it. That's not it's not worth that. <laughs> but if you if you hear it's a five hour movie and you're intrigued, I'm here to like I'm here to give you like a little nudge on that curiosity. Yeah. You know? Anyway, I didn't, I forgot to say, I did an F with a question mark for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. So I don't really, re- maybe they're stairs, but I don't really remember them because a lot of it is like in a POW camp. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of like stairs. Yeah. Uh, I you got like fences. You don't want people like going up. Yeah. I gave this an A for some reason in the spreadsheet. It's an S. There's a lot of stairs in this. There's a lot of stairs in this. There's like a really good set of... There's a really good set of stairs in, like, the first five minutes, so. I didn't even talk about, like, the sci-fi stuff that's, like, the coolest part of the movie. I didn't yeah. talk about, like, the cool... I'll show you, like, clips of the dreams. There's, like, they because they, like, take videos of dreams and stuff. Yeah. I'll show you those clips, because those are really cool. Yeah. Um, There's a, there's a on Criterion, there's a one-hour documentary called um, Vim Vendors in Tokyo about, like, him going to to make this like dream footage, Sony had the at the time because it's 1990, the only like HD footage lab in the world, right? And so it's about like vendors like going and learning about this like weird cutting edge technology and being like, ooh, I can make like my little dream scenes for my movie for this, um, and those are pretty cool. Okay, so. Yeah. I talked about that movie for five hours. I was rushing you. That's the big thing, is, is that like, I was rushing you're you. You're like, we have four movies we need to get to. Let's, let's like, get through stuff. Let's get to it. And then I'm like, <laughs> there's stuff I can say about Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, but it's been a little while. I don't, like, it'd be fun to just, like, watch it or, like, Autumn watches it. We can talk about it or whatever. I'm just going to try and do it quickly. And then... I just And then you just got into a groove and I didn't want to really interrupt it and then I could feel it was winding down and I just thought it would be funny to type deep cover <laughs> and search for it just to to lightly rib you. Thank you.
watched his motorbike hurling. We watched this on the 21st. Fuck yes. Right? This yeah. was like in between making yeah. Rolad and everything. Yeah. Um, We also, we have these like both, but I f- in some ways I kind of want to talk about them a little bit together. Yeah, me too. Because, so his motorbike, Her Island, um, is a 1986 film from Obayashi Nobuhiko. Um, I think this is the first thing that I saw from him. Really? Um, I watched this like a long time ago on DVD. I just assume that House is so much more famous than this that everybody sees House first. Yeah, but like this was back in the day. Yeah, no, just it's interesting. I just hadn't considered it. Yeah, uh, it was interesting because it's been a while since I've watched it, and so it's like a sort of that part where I was like first getting into Japanese films, and so it's just weird watching it now and being like, oh, I know a bunch of these people. Yeah, in a way that I just like. It wasn't wretched. It just felt so much like a, a small indie film where like none of these people go on to do anything. And it's like, no, these people went on to do shit. Before we talk about before we talk anyway, about what the movie is, can we talk about how weird Riki Takeuchi's face is in this? Yeah. <laughs> so so we know Riki Takeuchi from a couple things. He's in yeah. a he's in a couple things that we've watched for this podcast, I think. Yeah, the big But the but the big thing is the, the Dead two, or Alive movies. Two Dead or Alive movies. Yeah. Um, which are about 13 years after this. And my man ages in those 13 years. My yeah. man... <laughs> my man ages... You, you remember um, those photos of um, 
the original Common Rider standing next to his grandson who is going to play the original Common Rider in some new 50th anniversary movie. Yeah. The, the the and people were posting about how like oh men just used to be built different <laughs> oh it was just smoking and drinking yeah um Riki Takeuchi had that transformation happen to him over the course of thirteen years yeah <laughs> um it's weird because in this film he's so much less distinct like uh-huh. I I think that like Takeuchi Riki has like a a very distinctive face and look and like yes uh I and a way he carries him, himself yeah. and I really associate him with like like when you see him he's kind of just always him mm-hmm. in a way that we talked about with that are alive that like he's playing different characters in those two movies but he's kind of roughly the same guy whereas uh like how a show can just like fucking be completely different people. Mm-hmm. Like he's just more of a chameleon in that way. Uh I mean you still see him and you recognize that it's him. He's still yeah. like an actor, but he can like be such different types of people. He can right. like take on far different looks. Whereas like Rika just feels like this is what he is. You know, right. for a lot of his career, but it's weird seeing in this where uh, he just sometimes looks... there's moments, there's moments where he turns his head just right, and you're like, "That's the fuck, that's that fucking guy, that's <laughs> it." Like you can fully see it. But there are other the... times where he looks at it, and you're like, "It's just a hot young man." Yeah, he just looks like any other teenage heartthrob. Yeah, he's very attractive in this movie. Yeah, but he just looks like any other teen heartthrob. He looks yeah. like any other guy doing a James Dean. Mm. You know. Anyway, um, before we get too much into talking about his motorbike, Her Island, I also want to bring up Happy Together. Yes. Wong Kar Wai, 1997. I think part of the reason why these are going to come up in conversation is, one, both of them, I think, are just at their heart romance movies. Yes. That's what they're primarily focused on. Um, in different ways. Mm. But they are. And they're about, like, kind of strains and relationships and things. The other thing is that both of them have a mix of black and white footage and color footage. Yes. Um, and I I think, for me, his motorbike, her island, was, it, like, the way that some of that stuff was used was more interesting. One, there's this effect, and I, I was trying to think through how is this happening, and I think it was literally, like, a, a technique using, like, basically what you would do to do like a crossfade mm-hmm. with film where you kind of cut it and then you're like overlaying them and possible, or you're possibly exposing like less and less and then more and more of this, um, onto like a new film. Uh-huh. Um, there's like various techniques to do like a crossfade on film, but they're doing it fully lined up the same film footage, but one of them has been, uh, it was probably shot in color and then they did a black and white print of it and now they're overlaying it so that it will fade between the two. Yeah. Um, it starts in black and white and then you get ones where it's been like, I think like painted on or something yeah. to give you like specific color or you just get the like, it's at night so all that you can see is the red light of the stoplight and everything else is kind of dark because it is night. Um, and then like more colors entering into it and then like... And increasingly mm. become there's some stuff where like 
I think it's a, a similar technique where a circle has been done onto the film of color in the middle, and then it's black and white at the edges and things. Yeah, All that stuff is just kind of interesting from like a technical, how are they doing with this with film? And also calling attention to the way that things transition, where it felt like there's a, there's a clear, like... There's a, there's a very cl- clear to me intentionality about what black and white conveys in this movie and what color conveys in this movie. Yes. And it kind of ties, there's this line of like, I dream in black and white or whatever. Yeah. And so a lot of the black and white are these like, and, and a thing that I think is also interesting because I think sometimes you see old movies that might have black and white and then might use color for this like explosion or overpowering of emotion. Um, <coughs> I think there are, <clears throat> there are other movies that like do that. And you're kind of getting this reverse and it is like everyday life is in color. The things that are black and white are these moments that are like more intense emotion or um, these things that he's going to remember. Uh, and what the black and white is doing is it is hearkening to old film or mm. watching old romance movies or things yes. like that. It is like the parts where it becomes black and white is when it becomes more cinematic, yes. which I think is sometimes the opposite of what happens, uh, especially later on. Um, cause also at the beginning, some of it like, Oh, when he's riding the bike is when like his world becomes more colorful and alive. Mm. Um, and I think there is like a certain intentionality of setting that up. But yeah. to then specifically switch it to here's these moments of romance where he's going to actually think about and remember, yeah, this girl. I have other thoughts, but I I more or less like you said everything I wanted to say. Should we talk about okay his motorbike island, nineteen eighty six Obayashi? It is Riki Takeuchi is falling in love with um uh. Right. This is not going to give us like a good cast of characters. Um, is it Noriko Watanabe or is it um, there? There's. I think it's Noriko Watanabe is the the yeah. Um. Okay. Or no, she's the she's the like she's ex. the other girl. Yeah. Um. Let me see if I can like pull up like IMDb or something. Might have it better. Yeah. For getting the cast. Um. um it it's it's um. Kiwako and yeah. Harara. Um or or Miyoko in the movie. Um so so basically he starts falling for her and she's really into him because he's like kind of a bad boy um who rides around on his motorcycle and she gets really into the motorcycles and he is kind of into her because in some ways she like you we see her like observing like very like specific traditions that like the culture of this island that she lives on has he's like kind of like oh she's more of a like you know down to earth girl but also she's kind of freewheeling and she's like he sees her in a bathhouse and she's just like we're you know i'm interested in you here's my naked body just for you to like you know consider hi cat would you like to sit on my lap maybe or not do the thing that you're doing? Whereas, like, the girl that he breaks up with and is kind of his uh, ex for a lot of the movie is a little bit more, like, um, I don't want to say uptight. That's not, like, really the word that I want to... But she's more, like, uh, shy. She's a little bit more, like... Um, 
there are moments where he's being kind of a shit and coercing her into being. She, I think she very much was like, I think she kind of went into that relationship being like, I can fix him. And I think she kind of went into that relationship being like, wanting the storybook, like, I fell for this guy and he was like the first guy that I ever slept with. And then we were just married and like everything just was fine forever. And I think that, um, and, and like, you know, he used to ride a motorbike, but now like we've settled down and we have our family with kids and stuff. Yeah. Um, you just can't keep going out and coming back in. You got to pick a side of the door to be on Lem. Would you like um, to sit on a lap? Would yeah. you would you like to sit here? Anyway, um That's Noriko. That's kinda that's kind of the setup. And, that's, and then once she gets like a different boyfriend, she like is able to become far more confident in herself and is and like she becomes much like a cool singer. And, yeah. She becomes much hotter. Um and meanwhile and like Ko gets kinda like jealous a little bit, but like he's in a good relationship now with Kiwako. Um and uh or Miyoko, I'm I play so fast and loose on this whole podcast with like saying actors' names and yeah. characters' names. It's really obnoxious. Takeuchi Riki. Uh and then the Miyoko yeah. character. Um Ko is Takeuchi Riki, which I don't think we've said. Yeah. He, and he like gets a little jealous that this girl he broke up with got hot, but then he's like, Hey, but I do have a good thing going with Miyoko. Um and the the movie kind of pivots to She's getting really into motorcycles, and he's worried that she's going to die. Um, and then um, there's a bit where they really, really made me think that she was dead. Yeah. They also really play up the, like, uh, like almost, like, sexual thing with the bike. Oh, yeah. Like, she, there's this whole part where, like... We, we, we started the movie joking, like, oh, he's going to fuck that motorcycle. Like, joking. And oh, then, he, like, towards the end of the movie, it becomes about how he's getting cucked by the... Uh, yes. by his motorcycle. Yes. His like motorcycle is cucking him and he's all upset about this. And then she runs off with his motorcycle. Uh, yes. But then he goes and he's like, you know what? I'm I think I'm willing and ready for us to like form a polycule with the motorcycle. We can all fuck the motorcycle. <laughs> and then she gets her own motorcycle and there's like a little four it's like it is a legitimately a four person polycule but two of the people are motorcycles <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, uh, and and yeah like they they fake you out they make you think that she dies in a motorcycle accident but they they happily ever after basically it's a yeah. very sweet romance movie um let's contrast that briefly with happy together <laughs> which is not a very sweet <laughs> i, I want to talk a little bit about the black and white and the color in that which is that it starts in black and white it shifts mm. the color. Um, you get a couple color shots before where it pops up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the most I can read is like it shifts to color specifically when they're like, let's try again. Yes. That, that one yeah, time the, earlier in the film. The, it comes um, up again later. But the Happy Together is a like homosexual romance movie bet- between like Tony Lung and Leslie Chung. Um, and Leslie Chung's character. Um, like they've broken up and got back together a bunch of times. And this is always punctuated by Leslie Chung's character saying, um, let's start over. Um, and, um, uh, um, 
blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, there, there's a there's a section of the movie that is all in black and white, and then Leslie Chung says, like, let's start over, and then it's mostly in color yeah. from the early end of the line, I think. Yeah. There's, like, a little bit of color before then, and I think there's a little bit of black and white after that. But, but not a ton on either. Yeah. Like, the color before it are, like, just two shots that are in color. And mm. one of them is, like, honestly a flash forward to the the like waterfalls that he goes to Mm -hmm. or you could read it that way it is the waterfalls that they have the lamp of and they're gonna go there someday and then he goes there alone Uh, and i guess like to talk about oh my god okay just let him out and then if he wants to come back in then we'll just try and he's in my lap a little bit but he was like tense yeah i was kind of having to hold him yeah actively um, yeah, the door slightly ajar, but maybe that'll work. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Um, so, also, so did you mention that this is uh, this is 1997, directed by Juan Carvajal? No, did you mention that this is primarily set in Argentina? Oh yes. Um, so the the big setup of the movie is that um, it's implied and not confirmed until very late that like Tony Long and Leslie Chung's characters um, left. Uh, Hong Kong because like they didn't feel accepted as gay men there and so they end up in Argentina um, yeah. uh, and they're kind of like working like dead end jobs all yeah. the time and it well, starts with them um, trying to go to see the uh, Iguazu fall and yeah I don't know if I said that correctly uh, Igasu uh, Igasu okay yeah Igasu um, yeah they're going to there and they get like get lost on the road and then uh they break up and then they're there's the part where they're broken up and then they decide to get back together and then it's like before we get into like plot stuff i i want to talk about the black and white stuff because we talked about it with um uh uh, uh, his motorbiker island and because i just like this sort of like leads into my feelings about the movie as a whole, maybe, which is that like I kind of, on the one hand, this movie made me feel sort of like bad about myself as a critic, and I can explain that in a moment. And on the other hand, I was like, maybe this is just the movie not totally working for me, not coming together in some way, because I felt like, in the same way that. This is also true of In the Mood for Love. There's a lot of stuff bubbling under the surface of this movie that it goes unsaid, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that characters don't express to each other. And and similarly... Like, you can see some of the DNA of In the Mood for Love in this. Absolutely. And similarly to the characters not expressing things to each other, there are like pieces of information that are cut out in editing that like maybe I can infer that these two characters spoke about this but that information was not conveyed to me like that was edited out yeah um and and maybe I can infer sorts of things but there's there's stuff that I the viewer am being excluded from in some way yeah and I'm not saying this is a bad thing but I'm saying it as like it made it really hard to like read the film and tell what the f- discern what the film is doing and i sort of like walked away from this movie feeling like 
I wanted a little something more from it, and I couldn't tell if, like, if that was on me as a viewer, if it was, like, I need to... I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard for me to like put this into words even. But this... I think I think the feeling I had watching it was cuz this is earlier mm-hmm. in his career. Um this is post chunking express pre in the mood for love. And this is something that maybe like I mean we had this when we watched uh to some degree eraser head and mm-hmm. like the elephant man we'll have this with some other like some early kurosawa and stuff i think sometimes when you when you watch multiple films from a director and you start thinking about them and in relation to each other you'll sometimes find a film where you go i mean this is as someone who's like created art as well this is a a process that happens sometimes you make a thing and uh one thing like just pro tip for being an artist uh just release your shit even if it's not complete Mm-hmm. When you kind of reach a point where you're like, just you're like losing momentum or not quite sure what to do, just fucking put it out there in the world. It's better to to have it out there than to just like never finish it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't need to be perfect, but part of that process is either way, whether you release it or not, you are going to like work through ideas. And then you're going to come back to them later and have new ways of thinking about them yeah, yeah. and often come about it in a different way. And this is the, this one in particular, I felt like, cause there's even like the whispering, the secret in yeah. this and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's so much stuff in this where I think part of my reaction to this movie comes from, oh, like it is not going to be explicitly gay it's it's not even subtextually gay we just as gays like to watch in the mood for love and it be like the straight romance that we love Uh but like so you're kind of excising some of that but a lot of the stuff about like relationships about the inability to be together because of circumstances um the like disconnects that exist between people uh the ideas of like secrets whispered into the you know, the wind or into the hole or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, going to some remote place to say a, a secret in a place where like no one is going to hear it, mm-hmm. you know, comes up in both of these is like, Oh, he had these ideas in happy together. And I don't think for him, he felt like he fully did what he wanted to do with them. Cause otherwise if he did, I don't know if he would make in the mood for love. Yeah. Cause th- there's, in the mood for love also feels very like exclusionary, very like putting distance between the characters and the audience. There are things about this relationship that the audience does not get to know. And in there, the, the, that distance is very like tantalizing to me of like, Ooh, what blanks might I fill in? Um, what might that distance between me and the characters say about the distance between the characters themselves, all these sorts of things. Happy together. It was just like, I just kind of felt like, am I not understanding something to to bring this all back? I think some of it too is happy together. I mean, it's been a little while since I've seen it in the mood for love, but I feel like there's more like 
plot happening in the background that you're not learning. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the mood for love is just so concerned with the relationship itself. Yes. He's like found a way to drill it down and isolate it to that part and to just focus on that part. And so you've got the stuff with like whatever's going on with like the watches and selling them and his hands being broken and stuff. Uh-huh. None of that kind of stuff is going to like show up and in, in the mood for love. And that's like pointing towards other plot elements that are happening in the background. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is like knowing where to cut those things off and then where to like add. Um, and also some of it is just, I mean, my guess is that this was probably shot with a smaller camera mm-hmm. because they were traveling to Argentina to, to yeah. film it. Um, but there, there are moments in this where you, like, there's one in particular where it's just him on the street, and he's walking, and then he goes into, like, a bar. And so you see him, like, walking, like, away from the camera towards the door. And then it cuts, and the the door's, like, in the far corner, and he's walking. And a lot of it reminds me of having watched a number of documentaries. Uh, but also sometimes if you see, like, security footage and stuff of, like, almost piecing together action. Mm-hmm. That has happened, but in a way that is not fully following filmic conventions of like the idea of somebody walking away from the camera to go into the door, then walking towards the camera. And it's kind of like making this weird bouncing V direction yeah. of like motion that he's doing. And then like the cut isn't like fully matching in a clean way from like when he's entering and then when he's exiting the door in ways that like it's sometimes hard to fully pin down when it's being done, like editing and uh, blocking and things are this kind of thing where often if it's being done really well, you don't pay attention to it as the viewer because uh, all of the motions and stuff are remaining contiguous and making sense in a way where like you are not aware of the cut there. Whereas in this movie, because of the way it's being shot, the and I think some of it is just the lower budget, probably the smaller camera, um, but I think also there's a certain intentionality, but maybe some of it is being arrived at accidentally because of the small camera, mm-hmm. because he is just in a, a apartment or whatever and having to shoot something with a small camera and you get weird angles as a result to try and film what you're doing. Um, all that stuff feels like interesting things, but also stuff that's like uh, <coughs> fully the limitations and him working with it and arriving at interesting things. But in a way where sometimes you would do that and you get these strange moments of moving through space where cameras are in weird locations. Um, You're getting weird, intimate shots of an apartment that people are living in together uh, where things feel kind of weird or in close or closed off. And then he like takes that idea, what he's learned. And then you get in the mood for love where there's so much like people are here and there's all this stuff in the foreground blocking them or limiting the frame of, in which they can exist. But all of that has been built with so much more intentionality with so much more like no longer does it feel like this is possibly just the byproduct of the, the technology that he has because he's no longer having to shoot it with a small camera and Mm -hmm. he has a much higher budget. I'm Mm -hmm. presuming. Um, Now he's able to like intentionally construct all of these shots. And so I think that's also one of the things that, you know. Well, anyway, so, I liked it more than Chunking Express. <laughs> so, to, so to bring it back to the black and white thing, it, 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 you know, his motorbike, her island, 
I have a very clear idea in my head of why certain parts of this movie are in black and white and why certain parts of it in color. I feel like you kind of touched on a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, And I, my, my like reading of it may not be exact. If I was going through shot by shot and trying to talk about it, maybe I'd discover new things, but there's like, I feel a logic. Yes. I feel instinctually a logic. And I think maybe if I watched the movie again, I would discover new layers or new complications or, or maybe, maybe ways where my reading has to be a little more malleable, but I, I sort of have a gut understanding of what the logic is here. And maybe on watching it again, I could learn more. Whereas my feeling about the use of black and white in this movie, and I think my feeling about the movie in general, was very much like, I don't have a clear idea of what the the purpose of the contrast of the black and white and the color is. Because there's, there's parts where it cuts from gorgeous color shot to black and white, to back to color, to back back to black and white. And I know Wong Kar Wai. I know there is an intentionality to, to those things. I cannot figure out what that intention is. And not that I need to get into a director's head and understand his thought process, but that, like, I just literally am just like, this image is supposed to communicate something to me, and what that what that communication is, is getting lost. I am having trouble reading this image right now. Um, Well, and and it's also like, this is uh, fully just an aesthetic thing, but like the black and white looks fucking amazing. Yes. In both of these movies. Yes. When the black and white goes to color in his motorbike, her Island, it's like, yo, we, I lost my shit every time. (laughs) There are, there are a couple color shots that are just incredible. Uh-huh. in Happy Together, the first time that it is, like, black and white, and it just cuts to those, like, the the falls, yes. and just, like, the weird, like, churning water from whatever strange angle he got, mm-hmm. um, and that's all in color. It was just like, oh, whoa! Like, what the fuck's going on? Um, you know, another great moment. But there are other moments where it turned to color, and I was like, man, I kind of was just like, give me the black and white Wong Kar Wai movie. Yeah, this is like... <laughs> Like I would, I would guess that like just just rough estimate. This is a ninety-six minute movie. I would guess seventy minutes of this are. I would guess sixty minutes of this are in color, right? Mm-hmm. And if I were like the little like if I were one of Wong Kar Wai's collaborators on this movie, I would say flip that. You need to do sixty minutes in black and white. Um, the balance needs to be way more on the black and white because the black and white footage I think looks better. Um, and I think that, I think the biggest strength of this movie, um, is, is just how like sexy and how like erotic it is. And the black and white sells that so much better than the color does. And like, you know, this is obviously like, like sexiness is like a, is a tool that has been in his tool belt in black and white and in color since, since 1987, since his first movie. Right. Um, like as tears go by is also a very sexy movie the same as <coughs> stuff we've seen from him later in his career um and, and like i think the thing that the thing that i found so the thing that i found most compelling about this movie is you know in um we we see 
we see a lot of we see a common thread across a lot of his movies is like the 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 sexiness the the eroticism tied into like a toxic ass relationship you know like the the, yeah. the balancing of those like these people are not working together but the sex is really good you know and sometimes that sex is metaphorical i'm not i'm not convinced that the two people in in the mood for love ever had sex but that is a very like but also the sex is good yeah the sex is good like the thi- like the, there is a a the, a thing that those two people are getting out of that relationship that is not spoken that yeah. um is very the, important to them. The inherent sexual tension that exists between them is itself the sex is good. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so um which is why that dancing scene that was on Twitter is so good is cuz the yeah. dancing scene is it, it I, is the sex scene. <laughs> I like Yeah, I like in my heart and in my stomach know why he cut that. Yeah. But it's also very good to see. Yeah, yeah. That shouldn't be in the movie, but knowing that that exists and watching it, magical. Yeah. <laughs> um, 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 but it can't exist because that's them having sex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, Whereas this movie starts with a sex scene. This basically. movie starts with a sex scene. And and the, this is in some ways, the most toxic fucking relationship I've seen in a Wong Kar Wai movie. Yeah. Um, these two men are awful to each other, especially Tony Lung. Leslie Chung is not very good to, to Tony Lung, but Tony Lung does him fucking dirty by the end of this movie. Like, this is fucked up. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, he's pretty mean to Tony Long. Like there's this oh, thing yeah. where like he's the real shit heel for a while. Like um It's a it's like a reversal. Yeah. But it's where, also where Leslie Chung is kind of the shit heel for a while. And then there's just like this point where Tony Lung breaks and then just like goes extra hard. Yeah. It becomes like a monster. Yeah. <laughs> That's like some of the most monstrous things you can do to another human being. Um for for context, like for listeners like by the end of this movie, like um, Tony Lung has torn up Lo- Leslie Chung's passport, or like has thrown it into the fucking ocean. Yeah, and then left and gone back to Hong Kong. Like fuck you, enjoy Buenos Aires. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, or I think goes to Taipei first. Yeah, he goes he, goes he to knows, Taipei to yeah. to check in on the other guy he has a crush on. Um, and doesn't see him, but sees, uh, like his family. And stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, which like, they're like a street vendor. It's yeah. not like he's like, goes to their house and is like, Hey, I maybe possibly fucked your son once or something. No, yeah. it's just like, he just shows up and is like, Oh, this is his family. And like, yeah. You know, it, like he's just like, oh, I'll have some like noodles kind of, or yeah, whatever. Kind of observing from afar as like a customer, yeah. but yeah. Um, um, I think like maybe briefly says something about like how he knew him or something. But yeah, I just feel like if I watched his motorbike Island again, I would see more. I would understand more. There's like stuff there that I could still get out of that movie. I, if I felt if I watched Happy Together again, it would be like ah, uh, now I get to watch this movie for real for the first time, you know, like yeah. the, the, like it felt like I was so at a distance from Happy Together that it was just like 
it, it, it almost became like at a certain point, I was almost like kind of checked out from it. It's like, I'm, I can't follow this. I think bit. another, um, and maybe this is just that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure we were joking about like Wong Kar Wai and Tony Lung having an affair making this movie, but I think those are two straight men. And there, yeah. there are parts of this, this movie that like, but like, I feel like this movie is less sexy, despite the fact that it's yeah. a sex scene. Yeah. Than some of Wong Kar Wai's other movies, and I wonder if some of it is just like that. Wong Kar Wai is probably straight, and he just yeah. doesn't quite know how to make like a gay, like a gay scene have that same sexy tension. It it does feel a little bit like there's a there's a way that like um there's a tragic nature to all his characters, right? Like all his characters have some sort of like tragic thing. Um, I saw this, somebody said this in relation to as tears go by, but I think it's true of a lot of, um, a lot of his movies is that there's like always that, that flaw that his characters have that if you could, if they could just talk about it, if they could just have an honest conversation with the other person about this thing, they could probably fix it. But the problem is that they won't start that conversation. They don't know how to start that conversation. It feels impossible to start that conversation. Um, and, like, I think that's, like, true of this movie as well. But it's also, like, when you take that, say, that when you take that and you put it onto gay characters and you try to do a, a gay story, it kind of it didn't quite connect because it felt like a little bit just like, well, what is the tragedy that afflicts all gay people? I will just do that tragedy, you know? And like, not really like fully thinking through like, like what might this character's thing be? It's just like, well, gay people go through difficult stuff with their dad. So I'm just going to do that, you know? Yeah, I th- I, that's a little more that it's more dismissive than it, I think we've really felt about it. But also, I mean, one of the other things, too, is this just by virtue of being like the gay mm-hmm. Wong Kar Wai movie. Um, we were also watching this news impossible for us not to make comparisons to Simon Long. Yeah, and totally. being a, a gay director who is making films about like uh the difficulties of gay romance. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that I've seen from him is more steeped in like, um, like longing or yearning for things that like you can't really always express freely. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but well, also like the whole is like a, a romance story that ends with them getting together. And now there's like weird, vague stuff around that. And, you know, this is, this is, a really fine distinction. I think of Wong Kar Wai movies as being like about desire. And I think of, uh, Simon Long movies as being about yearning, you know, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> um, but, and I think maybe that this movie could do with a little more yearning. Yeah. Um, or I mean, honestly a little, cause, cause the thing is, so there's a sex scene at the beginning, which is again, I think that the I think these two men could go for it more. I'll just say that. It, it a lot of my problems, a lot of my problems with this movie could be solved if there were three more sex scenes, and that's not just because I want to see Tony Long shirtless, but I do. But it and is also asking. it is also because 
once they decide to try again, most of it is like um, Leslie Chung with his hands injured, like, and them living in the, but like practically being roommates. Yeah. With like weird, like, it's like they almost feel like they're still exes, but now they're trying to live together, but they're kind of just being roommates and not. You, there's no when they when they decide to try again, we were kind of joking, but I think it became true of the movie that like, um, like that at, at a certain point you're like, hey, you're the only like gay Chinese guy in all of Buenos Aires. I guess we're gonna be friends because like. No one else here, like, understands me like you do because I don't speak Spanish that well. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and even if I do, it's still different for me to be speaking Spanish uh-huh. with a Spanish lover and for them to not be able to speak, like, yeah. Mandarin or, can- or, I guess, Cantonese. Cantonese with me. Yeah. Um, um, and, like... So yeah, it feels like once they try again, it feels like once they make that decision to try again, it does feel like there's still like there's like a different tension between them now of like instead of this being like a sexual powder keg, it just becomes a like well, how do we try to like put up with each other when we know like we know from like years of experience that we just drive each other fucking crazy. But now we're in this situation where we have to kind of stop doing that and they can't stop doing it. They cannot stop driving each other crazy. Yeah. And I think that's also like one of the parts that becomes fun to me. One of the things that I don't know if I like one of the high points from this in this movie for me, I guess is when Tony Long then gets interested in, um, Chen Chong. Yeah. Um, because then you get like, Oh, like, it does feel like, especially as it becomes clear that that guy has the hots for Tony Long, which, I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you're like, oh, well, now there's another gay guy in Buenos Aires. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who speaks the same language. Yeah. Maybe maybe it'll work out. And, like, they do kind of have a, they have, like, a a healthier relationship. And then the sadness is that, like, he's planning to leave and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Like... But yeah, that's also why I think if there's more, like, there's two more sex scenes, I would like this movie more, is because you would get more of that sexual tension. Yeah. That feels like it's absent in a lot of this, as they are, like... And it feels like, it feels like, there's there's stuff about their relationship being expressed in the sex scene that starts this movie. Like, there's so much, Wong Kar Wai is so good at the visual storytelling stuff, that it's like, you can have these actors have sex and tell the story of like where they're at right now and how that's different from where they started the movie, you know? And, um, and even if it is a sex scene with, with Chang Chen instead, like, um, or Chin Chang, sorry. Um, like, uh, I lost my train of thought, but I basically said what I wanted to say. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Um, I mean, in some ways I, I this movie already faced censorship. I understand the difficulty in probably yeah. putting in more sex scenes. Yeah, that's fair. But, that's um, fair. But also, it is one of those things that's like this feels weird and uh-huh. and like uh, happy together felt incomplete. Yeah, in a way that I I do sometimes enjoy with movies. I think it's why I like it 
more than Chunking Express, which feels more complete, hmm. but in a way where it's just far more settled in my head. I just, yeah. you know, there, there's like an interesting incompleteness here. And that's, I think, why I'm probably going to think about this movie more than Chunking Express, why I enjoyed this movie more, but also the ways that it is incomplete makes it uh sometimes there's a like satisfying incompleteness Mm -hmm. and this is like a i was gonna do a thing that you would obviously laugh at me for go do do make your nana comparison the ending of nana is very satisfyingly incomplete yeah 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 i i was thinking of berserk as you were saying that so you know we're we are the people that we are yeah (laughs) whereas this felt unsatisfyingly complete uh-huh. Because the things that felt incomplete weren't the things that uh, invite me to think about, like, the weird tendrils that are coming out of this. Some of the incomplete- incompleteness is stuff where it is, like, I just wanted to see that. Or I wanted to it to gesture at that more than it did. Like, to, to lack the sex scenes and to not even, like, gesture at them either. Yeah. Is a different incompleteness than mm, this reaches some like conclusion that feels kind of, which this movie also does. It reaches like a somewhat open conclusion. Mm-hmm. But there are these other incompleteness parts where I, like I feel like you could complete that. You know, it's not about the like the impossibility of the human to like fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, understand things in a purely narrativized story way or anything mm. like that. It is just like, no, I just wish you put more romantic sexual tension between these two guys on the screen regularly. Yeah. Than you did. Anyway, people should watch His Motorbiker Island. That movie's fucking fantastic, dude. I think people should watch this one, too. People, just, this movie's yeah. fucking fantastic. Yeah. I really like this movie. I'm being very critical of it because it's like, ah, oh, I really enjoyed this and the stuff that I wish came together. I just, yeah. Whereas his motorbike, her Island, that's just like, that is catnip to me. That is just like, ah, it's a fairy tale romance and it's a little thorny and it's, a, it felt, we, we've kind of touched on this stuff with uh, a, a little bit, but there was a, a texture to his motorbike, her Island that felt very like grounded to me, felt very like, like, his problem, like, <clears throat> he gets with this girl at the start, and then he breaks up, and then she gets hotter and more confident in herself. And that just felt like shit that happens to you in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Is that you break up with somebody, and you're like, damn, I shouldn't have broke up with them. Even though you should have broke up with them. Even though that wasn't a good relationship, you know? But yeah. you, like, think about it, and you're like, damn. Ugh. Even though the breakup probably was a thing that helped her get to this other level of confidence because she went through some experience because of that and like found who she actually wants more in her life and things like that. And also he's in a better relationship. He likes this new girl better. And like, they're both in better, happier relationships. And, but that also you, sometimes you still look at the other person who, even though you're also in a better, happier relationship, they're also in a better, happier relationship. And you're like, damn, what if though? Yeah. (laughs) Even though you know, it's a stupid, what if, And it just felt so, like, it's really cool the ways in which that movie, because of of the, like, color black and white contrast, feels 
feels so deliberately cinematic, feels so deliberately like um, playful about um, what what film form can be and what like the black and white conveying this like sort of like memory, dream, cinema, like mishmash of things. There's like a height of emotionality that the black and white conveys. Um, you have that. And then you also have like part of the movie be about just extremely normal relationship shit. Yeah. Just the most like does not show up in a movie usually because movies are so concerned with the fairy tale that you just don't have this normal ass relationship shit show up that often. It it does this thing that's I think really phenomenal of like threading this needle uh, feeling really realistic and grounded at times, but also in a way where it is constantly aware of the the artifice of film, that the idea that something is feeling grounded and realistic or like, oh, this is just uh-huh. some teenagers, is itself like a constructed, put-upon thing. Totally. Like, it, like, threads that needle of being able to, f- at times, just feel very like, oh, this is just, like, you know, what it is to be young and in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also aware that to say that about a movie is a, is a thing that you are saying about like an artificial thing that is like a construction of youth. It is a construction uh-huh. of like what we think of as, uh, first loves and you yeah. know, early love kind of thing. Like, like youth is, be- is the thing being sold to you. Yes. Like youthful adventure is the thing being sold to you. Yeah. And, and that's then, like if you saw like a cool black and white photo of a young couple on a motorcycle, you'd be like, oh, what if I was like that? You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. it, yeah. I don't know if I'm fully explaining exactly this like tension that I'm, or I, this like beautiful balance that I'm feeling. But yeah, of like. I feel like I understand you. I think the listeners yeah. will. So. Yeah. That like at once it feels like very real. While at the same time, it is like constantly reminding you of how it is unreal and it is an artificial thing. Uh huh. Um, that like, I don't know. It, as someone who uh, you know enjoys reading Bazen because I often scoff at what he's saying and being like, "You're trying so hard to prove what reality in film is," mm-hmm. and throughout the entire process, I feel like you're just proving the impossibility of like real like true realism on film because any idea of realism is itself a like artificial constructed thing of what we define as real. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie just like effortlessly expresses that idea yeah. that like any construction of of realness or reality or whatever is itself like an artificial construction of what we like deem real. Right. Um <laughs> I remember I remember two things that reminded me of one, um, listening to, I don't remember, it was some range touch podcast. Um, and there's a bit where Cameron Kunzelman is like, and he's like, he's like going very quickly through something. He's like, and you know, as we all know, like people misread Bazin in the, in the U S for years and thought he was saying this one thing and he was saying this other thing, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, don't blah, 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 blah. I want you to explain that because I would love to know more about this, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, other thing that reminded me of is I picked up a book from Verso over the weekend um, that I was going to try to read soon. And I will try to pass along a copy to you if you're interested. Um, that is like a brief history of Cahier du Cinema. 
Yeah. Um, I imagine you probably know some of that stuff, but if yeah. I if I read the book and I'm like, oh, Nia, you might find this interesting, I'll let you know. Uh, um, anyway, let's do stairwells, and then I remembered we have emails. We have emails. Uh, oh my god, we're not doing emails. We have listeners. I appreciate you. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shout everybody out real quick, just so just so people don't feel like cheated in some way. We have um, an email from uh, uh, Aiden. We have an email from Modrin. We have an email from Zhuo. We have another email from Aiden. Um, uh, we have an email from Crystal. We have an email from Hunter. We have an email from Ina. I love and appreciate all of you. We've been podcasting for so long. It's half past midnight. I'm not... I'm not doing emails tonight. Just not. <laughs> How do we keep doing this? We I will figure some way to 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 respond to the emails. We will we will find some way to to address these emails. It is not tonight's episode. <laughs> but I appreciate you all. The modern email came up on Pardon My Franchise. I don't know if you listened to that. Oh yeah. Um, um... Wait, let me. Why am I not getting those ones? Okay. I'm just. I'm looking. Oh. Should we maybe do the ones that are specific to like his motorbike, her island? Sure. If you had a motorbike, what kind of motorcycle would it be? Not necessarily a brand, but like, <clears throat> uh, you have a big chunky one, or um, one where your butt is really close to the ground, or like the cool little ones. Cool little one for me. Yeah, I always kind of like, well, I have two. One mm. is I kind of like the like crotch rocket style kind of, mm. you know, the like little one. And my, my, my stepdad for years drove a Harley, still drives a Harley, loves his Harley. Um, and my dad, when he turned 40, had a midlife crisis and bought a Suzuki of some kind. I always thought the Suzuki was way cooler. Yeah. Um, the other one though is like a, a like classic Vespa. It's mm-hmm. a motorbike. It's not like a motor, you know, it's, it's not like a high speed motorcycle thing. Yeah. But I also like that. If I wanted one that's like more just like I'm chilling, going for a ride, be a Vespa. But if I'm like, I want to go fast speeds, it would do the like, you know, where you're like, kind of like hunched over it. Mm-hmm. Um, that style. Yeah. That's it for emails. Thank you, Ina. We will get it to everybody else next time. Yeah. Um, or something. We'll we should have done like a pickup of emails to do with the one that we did with M. Yeah, we should have, we should have just been like, Hey, let's hang out like two days later and just like, just do emails. And then, yeah. Um, we've just been so busy. We haven't really had anyway, time to, if, Cyril's, even... his motorbike, her Island had a number. Yeah. I want to say, I want to give both of these an A plus. I feel like, cause I feel like both of them had really good shots with stairs, some really good recurring stairs, but not like the stairwell scene that would have gotten it over the top to an S, you know? Yeah. Like, and also not like... There's a, there was a lot of good shots, It's particularly in his motorbike, Her Island, that are framed by stairs, that like stairs were like a, a, a geometry in the frame that sort of made, that sort of like made everything a little more enticing, but it wasn't like a stairwell scene. Yeah. I feel like there's a few similar things in 
happy together. Yeah. You see often the, like, stairs right outside their apartment, but you don't actually, like, see them on it all that often. Or or it's just, like, you would get, like, these, like, very, very, very zoomed out shots. Like, the camera is, like, across the courtyard, and it's just guy walks up to the door, you know? Yeah. Um, where can people find you online? People can find me at Foxwomnia on Twitter and co-host. Uh, my pinned tweet and pinned chost have links to all of my podcasts. Ghost Divers uh, has wrapped up. We did our we released. Yep. On Ghost Friday. Divers ended. Well, no, we released on Friday. <laughs> We've wrapped up Kino's journey. Uh, except question buckets coming up. So if people want to write in, if you're listening to this uh, in the Patreon feed, you still have time. If you're listening in the free feed. Should have gave us a dollar. You can still write in, and we'll just answer on another one. Yeah. Because you can always do that. Um, But that's been fun. Uh, I'm excited. We are out of the stuff that we all... We recorded a while ago. Like, I think that last discussion episode was recorded in October. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be much more current between uh, recording and releasing for Iron-Blooded Orphans and stuff going forward. And I'm kind of excited about that. I'm excited to get back to recording because aside from that, um, <coughs> aside from a question bucket and the, the New Year's special, we haven't like really recorded. I think um, that's part of why that New Year's special ended up being as long as it is. Because <laughs> y'all just had like... It's also it's Nana. Yeah. We decided on that to do a Nana podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I, I just finished listening to the New Year's special. It's very, very, very good. Very, very yeah. good. Um, I think we have a good, like, overview discussion. If you don't, of Nana. if you also, if you haven't read Nana, you don't want to be spoiled and, or you don't care. First of all, you should care. Nana's very good. I give Nia a lot of shit. Nana's exceptionally good. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> um, the other thing you, is, you want like, you want a, a love story that's about both like yearning and desire. There's like <laughs> two hours of uh, that podcast before they get to Nana. There's like a little Nana talk at the top, and then there's and like it's not specific to any spoilery stuff. It's just and then there's a whole bunch of other just general purpose like anime discussion, like looking back yeah. on the stuff you've covered. We do this I thing really... where we we rank. Uh, not in the spirit at all of the podcast because Connor and I are not really like, especially Connor is not like making a ranked list, which is what I think is fun about forcing him to rank yeah. anime and doing that. Um, cause he's kind of just like objects to the idea of doing like an objective ranking of stuff. Um, <coughs> but then it like forces him to like create his own internal thing and try the first time we did it, he talked through his whole process and this time he doesn't as much, but um, no, it's fun. Um, I specifically tried to construct it too, where we had to have things of like, I'm still surprised that, uh, standalone complex placed as high as it did with my disappointment with second gig, but that's the pure power of mm-hmm. the, the first season. You can find me on Twitter at a tunnel. Under- anyway, we're going to do IBO. The other things I just want to say is go listen to pondering Pluton, uh, the chapter 22, episode was really fucking good i think there's a few things where if you watch along or if you've listened along with the show up until that point uh there's like stuff that's like setting up you'll get more out of it but if you haven't watched it at all still just go listen 
to chapter 22. I think it, like that one was a blast to record. So Score have comp. you listened to it yet? The other one, it, have you? Did you listen to it? No. Oh. Well, I, was do- I was doing a bit where I was going to pick up where I left off with my plug, and then you asked me a question, and I couldn't do it. Okay. Uh, also, go listen to Around the Long Fire. That one's not on Export Audio. It's on Admiral Mapping. Um, but we're going to be wrapping up Lux Dyla Saga soon. Um, and when we hit the our third episode on it, that's when we hit the part where I'm like, oh, yeah, I fucking love this book. So... You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal on co-host. I've been doing little posts where I gather up all the shows that come out every week. And so if you want to learn about any of the shows, that's a great place to go. Cohost.org slash autumnal. You can also check out exportaud.io. I have links to all the free feeds there. Or for a dollar a month, you can get this podcast early, Gotham City Limits early. Um, certain other secret things that might be returning from the dead. Um, coming early. There. You're gonna do more of the dead movies? No, 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 no. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a podcast that has slumbered long that might be coming back later this month. Um, wow, Baggins coming back? Well, yes, actually. <laughs> we're we're gonna try and do. We're gonna try oh, to sorry, start. You a, you do have those movies. I forgot yeah. that there actually was plans. For... We, yeah, we were gonna try to do more okay. to our movie night starting this month. There's um, something else. I I know what it is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I've pieced it together in my head and I'm just you, when, being a... When Mordor Movie Night comes out, you will get access to that a week early by going to the Patreon. Um, that'll be us watching through, you know, the Bag End crew watching through um, various Lord of the Rings adaptations. Is that going to be along for that or is, huh? have I just fully stolen M? Uh, we made a list and M said, I'll come on for these ones. I'll skip those ones. <laughs> Um, um, Mortar Movie Night. Um, and for five dollars a month, you can get access to um, uh, Pop Town Funk, which is going to be coming back uh, in a week or two. Uh, Nora and I got to get back on the horse. It's just the holidays and the rolling of video game derailed us. Uh, but we will be doing that. And there is also over there coffee and comic books. Um, there's. By the time you're hearing this, I think three bonus episodes of Coffee and Comic Books that I just think are fucking fantastic. And in February, there are going to be two more. Um, I talked about this earlier. We were covering Billy Bat, five volumes at a time. The first two will... um, The first two episodes of that will be in the free feed. The second two episodes of that will only be in the Patreon exclusive feed. So if you're in the Patreon... You'll get all four episodes, but if you're not on the Patreon, not at the $5 level, you will only get the first half of our Billy Bat coverage, and if you're only listening to the first half, why are you listening at all, really, if you think about it? you got to give us $5. Yeah. Uh, I'm really hoping that people listen to that, because I know that Billy Bat is very popular. <laughs> um, if you do not give $5 to the network, you should go do that. If you have five more dollars to spare... You should also give that to the, the network and do $10. You're not going to get anything else, but you should do it. If you have an additional $5 to spare, you can now debate between giving it to Export Audio or going over to Abnormal Mapping and giving it to Abnormal Mapping. I'd recommend doing it before February. Yes. Especially if you like hearing us talk. Yeah, if you like hearing us talk, maybe sometime between now and February, give them $5. Who could say why? 
Who could say? Okokoro is real? Okokoro is real. Bella Lugos is dead. Bella Lugos is dead. 
It's him. It's him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Corey Heathcliff. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I thought I thought that was just post uh, post Bauhaus content there. What's the name? Bella Lugosi's Dead. I could not think of the song name for some reason. The non-homophobic zone. Yeah. We have a term for this. I th- I, I just, Bauhaus is what was coming to my mind in that moment. Yeah. Are we doing any other? Is this, It's just this. People are going to listen to all of it, be kind of excited. Ooh, I, I will another like, minute, couple minutes left after yeah. Bella Lugosi's Dead, and it's just us saying, read Heathcliff. Yeah. And then I'll just like, I'll find some sort of, but like, not that it, like, just like a, a song. Maybe I'll just play Bauhaus again. You'll just hear Bella Lugosi's Dead again mm-hmm. after this. Which will, one, when you first get to Bella Lugosi's Dead, it'll be like, oh, there's a, there's a good bit of post-homophobic zone. And then What's... you'll also be like, mm, there's not that much time left, but what if there is still something after this one? <laughs> um... And I'm not going to tell you if there is or not. You want to start the podcast? What's your favorite? Um, what's your favorite Heathcliff strip? I'm really partial to poop butt for personal reasons. Yeah. Um. So I like a lot of the it's him ones. A lot of the it's him ones are good. Uh, I think my favorite one is this might be the original. Um. Oh, you changed well, my keyboard. You changed well, my keyboard. I I changed your e- keyboard to English. You like it better in Icelandic. <laughs> Um, well, I don't know if it's, I think it, I think it might be the original one and it's, it's him on a skateboard um, and it's just some kids watching it and they say it's him. Uh, for, for people who don't know the poop butt one, it's Heathcliff surrounded by a bunch of giggling children spray painting a wall with poop butt. And then it's two onlookers saying he's popular with the kids. And um, I'm I'm partial to this because um, uh, a podcast I listened to got in a big fucking argument about it one time. Um, they them dude rights. They them dude rights said Heathcliff. <laughs> um, oh, there's this one ham helmet one. I think this is my favorite one. Also for personal reasons, yes, it's this one. Um, so Alex of swim fans. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I introduced him to like Heathcliff. Because yeah. he didn't have, like, a sense of... He didn't know what Heathcliff comics actually were. Yeah. Like, he, like many people, I think, just thought it's, like, oh, it's the, it's the like, rip-off Orange Cat, which isn't even the correct direction. Uh-huh. Um, but, so I was showing a variety of strips, and we were walking uh, on the street, and we were almost to my apartment, I think. It was, like, right in front of my old apartment. Not, not this one, but the one that's, like, literally just a few blocks away, because they, last time I moved, it was a very short distance move it was just an upgrade of space mm-hmm. not location um and it was this one which is uh heathcliff at the deli uh there's a woman ordering and the uh heathcliff is wearing a ham helmet mm-hmm. and the uh, man behind the deli counter says don't order ham and like already like alex was like starting to laugh and be like what is going on like uh-huh. I, I i did not realize that heathcliff was on this like weird absurdist humor thing uh-huh. and we got to this one and alex just like couldn't like laugh so hard that like on the sidewalk basically just like you know keeled over uh-huh like f- onto the ground laughing so children love the meat tank yeah the, th- the thing about this one is one of some of the best aspects of the absurd humor of heathcliff is when you're like in your head, 
filling in the spaces before or after? Like, does she order ham? What's Heathcliff yeah. going to do to her if she orders ham? I don't think this is going to go for her, go well for her. Heathcliff has a tank. That lady might die if she orders ham. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I, I really enjoyed recently. People who followed me on co-host, I, I uh, re-chosted this one. Um, did I close out co-host? I think I did. You did. Um, but I'm just going to pull it up. I don't know if you've seen this one. Um, let me just go to my profile. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to see the same damn bunny girl art eight times. Um... So this one, I think this one is really funny. <laughs> it's really well constructed and like relies on the audience being aware of the like built in uh, like internal comic logic of Heathcliff. The the like what the helmets represent, which is so there's Heathcliff looking around a corner at some uh, mice that are out of their hole and they're looking at like a, a mouse trap and there's a piece of cheese on it. Um, and one of the mice is looking at the cheese and he's wearing a helmet that says cheese. And then the other mouse is wearing a helmet that says danger. And he's saying, or she or whatever. Mm-hmm. They, um, them dude rights. Yeah. They, them dude rights. Uh, they're saying, I say, go, let's go for it. <laughs> and this is great because if you know the like internal logic of the helmets, right. You know that the one mouse really wants the cheese. The other one lives for ja- danger. Yeah. Like, the helmet represents what you, like, your innermost desires. Yeah. Yeah. Made plain. And so, the mouse does not care about the cheese. The mouse cares about the danger, the risk. Did you see that mousetrap video that Nora retweeted yesterday? I don't think so. I've been kind of bad on Twitter recently where work's, like, in a a place where uh, I'm not super stressed, but also, like, I just don't have, sometimes I'm able to, like check Twitter a little bit more. It's like a it's like a 30 second excerpt from what I assume is a longer video explaining this old fashioned mouse trap. Um and it's this guy filling up a little like thing with um gunpowder and a little piece of cloth and then he's got this little toy mouse and he puts the mouse and sets off the trap and, <laughs> and it just gets shot. <laughs> It just gets fucking blown away. <laughs> Which then someone in the comments to the tweet is like, I don't want to clean that up. This is a terrible mousetrap. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, well, we should start the podcast. Yeah. Or maybe we're going to goof off a little bit longer. I mean, the podcast will be the goofing off. Yeah, but no, I'm just oh, saying. Oh, right. Yeah, you're setting up your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows?
Thank <laughs> you.